Warning, this episode contains descriptions of sexual assault and self-harm. Welcome to Orion Valley. I'm Josh Wall. I'm Rihanna Hudson. Frankly, I love movies. And frankly, I love books. Welcome to our podcast where we dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium so much. We're currently running our series Off the Shelf, where we discuss film adaptations of novels and see how they compare to each other. Today is a monumental, frankly, I love movies episode. What are we doing today, Rihanna? (laughs) (laughs) We are revisiting the film The Piano Teacher because we have now read the book The Piano Teacher. That's right. (laughs) I'm very excited. It's the Piano Teacher Revisited special. (laughs) Uh, This is great. Yes. One of uh, the earliest episodes of this show, the first episode to bring Rihanna uh, into our lives and into our (laughs) waveforms was talking about uh, Michael Heineke's 2001 film, The Piano Teacher. And yes, neither of us at that point had read the book. And so we figured it'd be the perfect opportunity to delve fully Back into the Vienna, the Austrian uh, piano scene, and uh, we've read the book, we've rewatched the movie, we've done a lot of research, and uh, we're gonna we have some fun things planned for you guys throughout this episode. We're even gonna go back and read some quotes from <laughs> old podcast because guess what, people? It's evolved. The show has changed. The format has changed drastically. We both have listened to that episode. Before we get into it, what were some of your takeaways re-listening to parts of that old episode, Rihanna? What has changed Um, the most, do you think? Shock and horror were my biggest (laughs) takeaway. (laughs) I was so humiliated. Um, But no, in all seriousness, one of my biggest takeaways was definitely how much reading the book um, can really inform the viewer us uh (laughs) me specifically uh on you know just like the point um because listening to uh the bits and pieces that i did of of our first time talking about the film i i really just couldn't help but feel like i i missed the mark Uh, and a lot of it was cleared up by not only just like aging and you know rewatching things and reading other books watching other movies um but also just reading the source material itself and um which we'll we'll get more into later when we talk about the book i'm sure and just how much it really makes things certain things and thematic elements much clearer yes uh yeah that was a it was a totally different experience uh (laughs) four years ago and uh i agree I, i listened to uh some bits and pieces of the old episode and Barring any, uh, you know, like obviously, like I said, structural and formatting things, we've changed a lot about the pod itself. In terms of content, yeah, being my that was my first exposure to the film. I, this watching it this time was my third time, I believe, and uh, and then obviously reading the book, it puts it into a whole other perspective, and uh, it just felt like a totally different experience. Just spending time with this story this time than it had been uh, 
back when I just watched it on my iPhone at work. When, <laughs> <laughs> David Lynch would be appalled. I, that, was, that was the last time I ever watched a movie on my phone. I on swear I don't telephone. do it anymore. I, I can't <laughs> on a telephone. <laughs> um, but I like I said, we're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about the movie. We're going to talk a lot about uh, Michael Heineke and a lot of his films because we did a lot. We've done we've done a lot. <laughs> Preparing yes. for this has been quite the assignment, let me tell you. Um, a a we, lot four years. It's been a while. We've had time. For this episode. Yes. <laughs> we've had time. I think we've put in a lot of effort, and you guys are not going to be disappointed. Um, so let's start with the book. Um, oh, so- shit. I thought we were going to talk about the movie first for some reason. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready Episode anyway. Four. Still trying to figure things out. Um, so it is a, a novel by Elifried Jelinek. Next time we do a series, we're only doing <laughs> people with fucking one Easy syllable. Names. We're doing we're doing <laughs> books by Dan Brown and movies by John Ford. That's it. <laughs> well, I really like the running theme that um, there is just incorrect pronunciation yes. somewhere. I think yeah. you usually pronounce it correctly. Um, uh, that sounds uh, like a pr- <laughs> correct pronunciation of her name. Um, but uh, she won. Uh, she's a Nobel Prize uh, laureate. The the book came out in uh, 1983, and then obviously, like I said, was adapted in 2001 by Michael Heineke. The story follows Erica, who is a renowned piano teacher at the Vienna Conservatory, who also lives at home with her mother, who meets Walter, who becomes one of her students in her master class, and during which they embark on a sadomasochist relationship journey with one another that ends in turmoil. This was my introduction to the book. Was this your first time reading the book, or had you read it? Had you read it? after the pod previous to this one. <laughs> no, this was my first time reading the book. Um, not my first time reading Jelinek because uh, a few summers ago I read her novel, uh, Women as Lovers, which is so good. Just like crushing and heavy and miserable, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really see it as a good companion piece to The Piano Teacher because each novel really deals with um, the same kind of theme in regards to women and um, women's place in society, uh, especially Austria. Very good stuff. So it wasn't my first time reading Jelinek, so I was pretty familiar with the way that she writes and her rhythm and her metaphors and um, her very colorful, vivid language and imagery and her style of, like, you know, not really any dialogue, or if there is dialogue, it's not super noticeable within a wall of text. Like she doesn't okay. really do mm-hmm. chapters. She just kind of, yeah, walls she's, of text. She just kind of goes, just lets, yeah. it, just lets it runs. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you if it's the same, uh, at least for dialogue, but yeah, it's, it's a very, it's an interesting stylistic choice. This was also my first time uh, reading the book and my first exposure to Jelanique as a, as an author and I was pretty excited to delve into it because I have um, the last time I watched the movie was um, back in like summer of 2020 when we did uh, our best movies of the 2000s list. And I had the piano teacher um, on there as number nine, I believe. And I wanted to rewatch it just to make sure that it was, in fact, on the list. And so I was I was excited to 
delve into the story and I, I definitely it definitely strikes you right off the bat of what her style is and uh how lengthy you know her paragraphs can be and how it's all written out in prose and it is not broken up in a traditional narrative sense um or at least in a typical uh publication sense with chapters and she only breaks up like two sections there's the um roman numeral one and then the roman numeral two like 80 so pages into it i I will be up front this book was a challenge for me it was uh it was not a walk in the park that fight club was you know yeah i mean (laughs) yeah and it's uh, it's not that i would well i guess i would call uh palunic a lesser writer in comparison to jelinek um i think she's way better um but it's definitely not uh as easy or palatable uh, and I agree with you that it, it is kind of a hard read. Like you said, stylistically, not as easy to just like mark your progress in the form of like chapter one, chapter two. Visually, the pages are dense to look at and to read because there's no really breakup with with lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I also think her language is kind of like difficult to read. I feel stupid because uh, one of the blurbs on my paperback copy, uh, one of the like critical reviews or whatever uh somebody says like through her simple language she still gets across blah 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 (laughs) and i'm like simple language am i just a dumbass like i it's not that it's hard to understand but you just really have to pay attention which you should be doing while you read anyway uh but it's not as easy to just breeze through as a fight club or well even obviously no country is broken up by walls of dialogue you know yeah and chapters yeah and there's chapters and and sometimes even mccarthy will break up his novels in this similar way that the piano teacher is where it's a symbol in the middle of the page to as as like a clear break so like in the piano teacher there's like those little squares through at least in my that's how my book was broken up. yeah mine too okay um and so yeah so sometimes if you just like like sometimes i like to break it up as like how many pages do i need to read before meeting like a day before we hit the deadline you know so sometimes uh so it was like okay 10 pages a day but if you read just 10 pages <laughs> a day it doesn't really have a good definitive breaking point you yeah, know, and you, you didn't, didn't mean to interrupt you, but you'd have to stop in the middle of, um, which I'll just for ease call a chapter, which I didn't like doing while I read it because, uh, again, her rhythm, I really think is just like amazing the way that she can kind of defect away from the literal narrative and go into these like huge metaphors, mm-hmm. uh, but then come right back into the story itself uh, it is just so good. And I always felt like stopping in the middle of one of those chapters or whatever really broke up that rhythm. So I agree that it's kind of a, a hard book to to kind of discipline yourself with. What I found really interesting is when something like a scene or an actual plot point that I recognized from the movie came up, mm-hmm. I was like, OK, like and they were all like, I think and we'll talk about the movie a little bit later, but I think most of the plot. Like, again, the plot points that are from the book are in the movie. Like, I think that the overall the narrative is uh, is lifted pretty easily in in the movie that way. But it's when, like you said, she will take a scene that's like an action and will turn it into a full on three page metaphor. There's a scene early on talking about, I think, when Erica is like riding a bus 
and she's being described as like a bug. And there's all of this worldly imagery that's happening before she even like gets off the bus and how like someone gets hit like with a violin case and like discussing like that conflict. And what, what happened with me was like, as I was reading it, I was trying to then get into the mindset of each accent action is a reflection of the character, whether it actually be driving the relationship between Erica and Walter or just something that she's going about like her day to day or like when she's just following somebody. Uh, And that in turn would make me have to go reread sections of it to make sure I understood what was being conveyed and my own like sometimes that wasn't as successful as other times. (laughs) And that's just me. And I'm not saying that on the, fault of the author that's the fault of me um because because it's so dense and because sometimes it's just like wait what's going on what when did when did bugs come into the equation like it's just uh it's it's such a again and and she sets that up early on and you kind of have to go with it to get to the end because of that again sometimes it would lead to me doubting myself whether i actually understood what was just told to me before the metaphor ends and we jump to you know, Walter Clemmer walked into his walked into his lesson and it's like, OK, now we're back to the plot, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. if, um, which, uh, you know, is not something I've really experienced before uh, in at least in terms of like this dense of a work. And because of that, I found myself really having to push myself to keep reading, not necessarily because I didn't enjoy what was written, but because it was so challenging and because it was really pushing myself yeah, yeah, I agree. And I would also say that um, Jelinek, her books are so miserable. <laughs> and yes. Like, I mean that I, I love her. I think she's a genius. Um, and I, I don't think there's really any other author to compare her work to. I think she's just so unique. Um, and I can't say enough good things about her and her work. Um but oh my god, is her work just so miserable? And I, I personally almost had to take like breaks in the sense of um, I just needed some space from like this complete total misery. Yeah. Um, especially when you know certain aspects of the book that I could kind of like r- relate to my own life, especially um, because again, this this book and women as lovers really deal with. Um, being a woman <laughs> and uh, yeah. our, our place in society. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, not to do too much self-disclosure, but the relationship between Erica and her mother um, really hit home with me in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's just a lot. And, you know, Jelinek, this book is um, partly autobiographical. Uh, she basically had the exact same uh, relationship with her mother that we see in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with her mom wanting um, Jelinek to be a child prodigy with like music. Uh, she was also a student of the Vienna Conservatory. Her father also ended up being institutionalized and uh, passed away there. So Erica's domestic family life pretty much mirrors Jelinek's. Mm-hmm. And in real life, Jelinek is agoraphobic. She's had some very crippling issues with anxiety and she had to move back in with her mother for a good period of her life. And she doesn't really travel. She, she doesn't fly. Uh, I think she accepted her Nobel prize 
via webcam, which people mm-hmm. had an issue with, but she basically said, you know, I'm agoraphobic. I can't leave. And I think that kind of uh, anxiety and fear and tension really comes through in her work. It, it's just searing and it's really vivid. And I don't know about you, but it, it would get to me and I'd be like, oh my God, I need a break. <laughs> like, I want to have a good day. Maybe yeah. I can't read it today. So I'll read it tomorrow. Yeah, there were definitely times where I was like, uh, yeah, struggling with my own anxieties or, you know, having rough mental health days. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I like you kind of have to I for me personally, I was just like, it's if reading it will almost make me feel better just because I'm accomplishing something because I'm checking off that I read it, you know, so. like, yeah. But yeah, no, it's so bleak. It's very and you can d- very t- much tell that it's autobiographical because of how well realized the relationships are. Yeah. And the way that she constructs full scenes and locations and settings so vividly will go on for like even like two or three paragraphs just about the way that like the mall is laid out and the atmosphere and yeah. the mindset of, you know, nothing characters that are around her. It's really fun to like relish in that. And it just shows how true, like, to her own life it was. Because it it also, again, she really paints a good, like, psychological picture. I mean, this obviously is like a psychological thriller in a lot of ways. But she'll she'll do these things where she... I almost felt like it was, like, written as if it was, like, a newspaper article. Like, there was, like, a journalist following these characters around and reporting totally on, like, on everything she found in the world. Like, mindset that the characters were we're in like in the opening scene with her like Erica coming home with the dress and her mother finding out it was not just Erica walks through the door her mother's like where have you been and then it (laughs) you know it's not it's not just that but she also does like she is like this because mother wants her to be like this and like using variations of punctuation that way to kind of accentuate the clear roles in society and we'll obviously talk more about that probably a little bit later it it just felt so fully realized that it obviously was autobiographical and 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 i mean that in a way of like in a in a positive way like it really did feel like we were just reporting or someone was reporting these findings to us uh in the best way yeah yeah i agree so i i mentioned the uh the realization of the relationships of the characters because I think that that's where it really shined for me as I was reading. Yeah. Cause like the main relationships obviously are like Erica and her mother and then Erica and Walter. And because they're so those two relationships are so deeply connected to one another or at least affect one another. Yeah. You can really feel each person's position in this world. Like, you know, Erica under her mother's regime uh, Walter wanting something from Erica, Erica then realizing she wants something from Walter, and the whole turmoil that they then go through towards the end, you really get just a good sense of each character's role within a scene. And like I mentioned that sometimes she'll say like using the term like she in all capital letters to refer to Erica, like she has to do this. She feels this way because yeah. her mother wants this and mother knows this and mother thinks this and Again, that's all set up so early on that the parallelism to later, once the roles become even more defined in Walter and Erica's relationship at the end, it adds to the bleakness of it. But it's also just so interesting to read a book like that. 
Yeah, and something that we could probably get into more later, but I think the novel really expands on the relationship that Erica has with her mother in a way that the movie doesn't, Mm -hmm. um, mostly because we are allowed the subconscious inward reflection of Erica on her relationship with her mother and all the dynamic feelings that come with being raised by a controlling domineering I almost want to say like patriarchal I mean she's a her mother's a woman but I I would use the word patriarchal uh for reasons I'll get into later figure and we get to see how Erica deals or fails to deal with all the consequences mentally and emotionally that come from, you know, living that way. And we also get some insight into her childhood, uh, which I I really enjoyed. <laughs> enjoyed is maybe the wrong word, but I, I really mm-hmm. appreciated being able to read that because obviously we, we don't get that in the movie, which I'm glad we don't. Um, I don't think it was totally necessary in the film. And I think it would have been clunky and weird to do like flashbacks, mm-hmm. but Jelinek with just how, talented uh, of an author she is is pretty seamlessly can go back to childhood and circle it back in without it feeling like a weird obvious like flashback and I thought that those were some really valuable chapters quote-unquote to be included and it made just her character even more realized and her relationship with her mother more realized and then you're able to read uh, in the second part of the book you know her relationship with Walter and what's going on there with the context of her childhood and, you know, her first exposure to masculinity and male men having legs up in society being yes. through like her cousin being doted on. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really great chapter. Yeah, you are right that it is. There are there's a lot more introspective writing in uh, or introspective study in the book, obviously, because it's the medium itself is more freeing in that way. And yeah, I really liked that section with uh, talking about her cousin. It almost feels like when it starts off, it almost feels like a completely different story. Not in a, or at least like you're very clearly in a different part of the book, a different mm-hmm. part of the narrative. And I was like, and I mean that in an interesting way. I was like, oh, okay, where are we? Uh, where are we going with this? What what's going on? And the way that again, she how observant Erica was of like, you know, he loved the attention and was like, and would wrestle people and describing her first um, sexual encounter with this cousin uh, or just understanding what just really uh, with masculinity, like you were saying and how that um, affected her sexually. Like that was just really interesting and added a new layer to the character that I wasn't really expecting going into it because again, like up until that point, that's right before like the second section of the book begins. Yeah. And up until that point, Jelinek was doing a really good job of really stretching out all of the actions in between each of the individual, like bigger scenes, whether it be like the opening with Erica and her mother or the recital in the house where she meets Walter. Like she was really focused on the present there and moving from one thing to the next, like sequentially. And so when there's a flashback, you're like, Oh, okay, let's see. Let's see where this goes. But on top of that, you also get a really good sense of some like expectations were there from the beginning. Like it wasn't just one thing happened to her mother. It wasn't just like them putting their father in the mental institution, which is another thing they show in the book a little bit later. Yeah. Um, It wasn't just like that was a moment where 
something changed. There was change, but it wasn't like everything turned away. It was now because of that. You can see that there's expectations put on Erica and her, um, obviously, and different different feelings towards this male cousin set early. And it gives you a much better, richer context for the themes uh that are fully realized as, as they, as you go along. Yeah. And we also, if I remember correctly, get, um, a flashback for lack of a better word, um, to Erica failing at a pretty significant concert, uh, as a child, oh, and her, yeah. her mother just being completely humiliated and, yes. and like berating. Mm-hmm. And I think that was also another really significant insight into Erica and, um, you know, what kind of drives her, which I think like failure is the biggest thing and fear of failure and why her mother is just so, or not, not why, but, uh, another example of how her mother is just so overbearing and just plays these weird fucked up head games of constantly making sure that her daughter's self-esteem is low enough that her mother can have control over her, but also feeling or, or almost kind of like shedding her narcissism onto her daughter uh, by means of being like, you are the best. You're better than yeah. any of your students. You're better than any of these other women. You're more intelligent. Uh, and like, don't forget it. And making this simultaneous storm of, self-contempt and self-loathing but also like huge bloated ego uh that probably was always like present in her mother Mm -hmm. uh but is then kind of shed off onto erica through her mother controlling her so much and uh, again those are those moments that i think you can really tell the autobiographical influence comes in and it just feels so real almost like painful because you said you know those expectations you can see how they map how far back they map and how we got to where we are currently in the story and expectations is a great word to describe it but i would also say pressure it feels like like a pressure heater just getting worse and worse and, and you're waiting for it to just like break and it's like claustrophobic and stifling and it, it's just, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> but so hard to read again. There are days where I was like, I can't think about that right now. It's too real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't read it today. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 yeah, it is. It is an uphill battle. The book for sure. <laughs> um, kind of along those same lines though, it, it is, it is a pressure. Like it is so heavily burdened on Erica. It, like, and you talked, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, wanting to turn Erica into like a prodigy and make her to be like the greatest musician, you know, like ever that on top of showing her what kind of woman she th- should be you know and making her feel as though and still like when she's an adult like her mother will say things like you're this kind of woman you shouldn't be doing this at your age you should know who you are you're this kind of beauty you know and or this this dress doesn't look good on you or like this uh you shouldn't be wearing this or shouldn't look or be perceived this way um is the fact that it builds that way is uh it makes it again just feel like that relationship is so honest and obviously painful but also again like it's just through her entire life and you can play with that more in the book like i'm fine with those scenes not being in the movie personally um because again like doing flashbacks to a character when they're young 
should really, really, really prove why it is there. And here, I think in, in the book, it because she paints such a vivid picture already, uh, I think I think it works for it. <clears throat> you mentioned the um, you mentioned the, re- the recital scene where she um, where she fails as he I think I think that's like the first time they talk about like the, the phrase like chop your hand off comes up a couple times mm-hmm. uh, throughout it. And like just the idea of taking something like away like taking beauty, taking talent, taking ability away from somebody as a punishment because of just who they are, of just being human is something that's throughout the book and adds to that dread because especially with uh, the relationship with Walter and Erica later, there's an expectation. And when one of them can't meet it, it leads to violence and it leads to wanting to just destroy the very core of who they are as people. And that's a lot, uh, but it, uh, it again, it's so like it, I, I love the themes in this book, um, and I, I mean that in a way of like they're so rich and they're so utilized well within the narrative that when you hit the ending after just taking all of that in and you're left with the feeling that you're left with almost just kind of empty and lost in a way, it works. And I think it's effective. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, was with the themes in this book and how dynamic they are, it really works so beautifully mm-hmm. because Jelinek, uh, I think, is really talented at kind of reflecting on or, you know, commenting on women living under a patriarchy and experiencing misogyny uh, highlighted through not only her relationship with Clemmer, a man, but also with her mother, you know, even though it's this mother-daughter relationship. And and so you'd think that the question of, of the patriarchy would be completely out of the picture because you're talking about two women. Um, I think Jelinek kind of manages to bring in these themes of repression and whatever and blah, 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 uh, under an emotionally abusive mother. But also kind of showing how her mother is not so much a martyr, but kind of like acting as the patriarchy. Uh, and I'm going to get into like, or I'd like to get into, you know, the the feminist themes uh, that are mm-hmm. present in the book, because I don't think they're as obvious or as heavy in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Jelinek, you know, she's a socialist, a feminist, very political and, those themes are really present in her work that I've read. I haven't read everything by her. So I think it's really worth like delving into and talking about, but yeah, she's able to kind of show these themes and messages of uh, hypocrisy among like higher cultured (laughs) class people, patriarchy, uh, how, how women kind of have to deal with uh, expectations of how to behave uh, in every kind of possible social circle or, domestic setting whether or not they're being raised by a domineering father or mother and I, I think she's just so talented at showing that because it, it would just be so obvious if rather than a, a mother you know inflicting all of this emotional pain and breakdown of her self-esteem and controlling you, you know if, if it was her father rather than her mother in the book uh, I think it would be kind of just like too obvious that like yeah this is a message that the patriarchy is bad and hurts everyone yeah um 
I think the American version would do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, no, no. The American version would uh, be like, actually, Erica is uh, safely and sanely uh, working out her trauma through BDSM. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I, I'm very curious if that could be a reading that some people do have. I'm sure it could be, but that's so not what Jelinek is trying to say. So before we bring the movie into the conversation, I want to do two quick things. Uh, first at the top, I mentioned that I have some quotes from the oh, first God. podcast uh, <laughs> that I wanted to bring up. I have one that I said, one that you said, and one that both of us agreed on. Sure. And I want to see how our opinion has changed. So I read this to you off, um, off mic, but I, wa- I want to bring it back in. So one of the things <laughs> that you said, and I, and I ask this not as a phrasing thing, but I ask this as an opinion thing. Sure. So one of your quotes Uh, early on in the podcast is uh, and again the fact that we hadn't read the book was the the book gives you the feeling uh, of a of a rush and adrenaline and quick 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 that was your direct quote now four years later after having read the book and watched the movie several times do you still agree with that or has your opinion on that changed well very quickly uh I would like to just acknowledge how ashamed and embarrassed I am that I somehow felt I had the authority to speak about how the book was written, despite not <laughs> reading it. I don't know what I was doing um, or just how much four or five years ago I really thought reading reviews and and critics on the internet uh, equated enough to having read the book myself. I don't know what the fuck I was doing. Um, so I would just like to get out of the way that, uh, yes, I am humiliated, but, uh, anyway, <laughs> I, I do still kind of agree. I, I don't think I was entirely wrong somehow because I do think there's just this, this energy throughout the book of almost like rushing because the way that Jelinek is able to, we've talked about this a few times now, pretty seamlessly go into this huge macro metaphor and then like magnetize it back down uh, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that, that really does give it a kind of rhythm and feel of just constant movement and something hearing that quote <laughs> that I said uh, that I think about is uh, in the book when she catches her one student at a porn stand Mm-hmm. Or like buying pornography or something. It works a little bit different in the book than the film. And I believe in the book, it kind of says that she had been following the student, maybe. Or there was something about her generally just kind of like following people and like swooping over them. And yeah. um, uh-huh. and, and there was just this, I think she's compared to like like gusts of wind or something, which sounds trite and it, and it works better in the book. Um, but I, I do think there is this constant energy and just constant movement even if it's like an inward thing because again we feel that pressure just like building up and up and up and 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 the book isn't too static in terms of like where it's set uh we even though erica's own personal world is so claustrophobic uh the book does take us to a few different places like she's on public transportation bumping into people and uh uh she goes to the amusement park uh, mm-hmm. which I really love that entire sequence of her just stalking through the grounds of the amusement park. And we get a lot better uh, idea of, of the streets of Vienna. And uh, so I think there is like movement 
and energy and, and rushing in the book. Uh, I, I just think a lot of it is more from like the anxious energy that you feel when you're like overthinking things or your thoughts are racing, just that like you can't sit still, even though you are kind of sitting still like that. Like that's the kind of energy that I felt reading this book. You know I definitely. I mean? Yeah, I definitely agree that there's there is movement to it in some of those um sequences of great metaphorical exploration or like you said just the her wandering around following people which is an aspect of the movie i I do wish was there a little bit more but i understand i understand why it um it wasn't but for me i guess i wouldn't necessarily say like adrenaline or quick 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 maybe it's just my stupid male brain of again (laughs) trying to grapple with the just how dense it is and how much of a challenge it was for me as a reader. So I found myself pushing more than being moved by the actual story itself, um, mm-hmm. which, and and I mean moved in a, in a literal movement term, not uh, an emotional movement. Like that was fairly easy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, that could just be my, uh, that's just my personal experience of finding myself really trying to get through it. And I, and again, I don't want to sound like I didn't enjoy reading it because I, there was a lot to take in. It was just such a personal challenge for me based on stuff I have read before and uh, structurally, but also in terms of its subject matter, it is, uh, you know, like you said, it is sometimes tough to go back to. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, I would, I would say that's, that's my take on the quote. We got a couple more of those throughout the, uh, throughout the podcast, uh, but uh, that that's one for now. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear a word from today's sponsor. Let's be honest, folks. We've all turned to the fridge when we're in desperate need for home decor inspiration. How many households have you been in with a bowl of fruit painting on the wall? It's a worldwide phenomenon, and it's heartbreaking when you realize your favorite fungal ingredient just doesn't liven up your living room as you thought it would. But have no fear. Even though the mushrooms in your fridge don't have much personality, you can add some cheeky, curvaceous toadstools to your walls. Introducing Tushrooms. Former film guest Lexi Cutmore has put her artistry out into the world, and let me just say, it's one of a kind. With the cap of a mushroom and body of a female figure, mushroom ladies come in a variety of customizable colors, shapes, and sizes. The drawings are a unique way to add some personalized color to your home. Plus, who isn't all about body positivity at this point? Get with the times, people. To order your tush rooms, visit Underground Art Project on Etsy.com. That's Underground Art Project on Etsy.com. That's U-N-D-G-N-D-A-R-T-P-R-O-J. Customize your fungus female today. Now, before we bring the movie in, uh, Rihanna, you told me that you have uh, an Amazon review that you would like to read. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, when I was ordering the book off of Amazon, I, I was struck by this review. And, you know, personally, I think we should have tracked this person down and had them as a guest on this episode. <laughs> I think they would have had some really good insight. Uh-huh. So, um, okay. here Here's the top critical review by happy customer and maybe i shouldn't have said their name i mean that's not their real name but that's their amazon name two stars an excruciating experience to read all the main characters in this book are mentally unbalanced in extremely unpleasant ways the desperately repressed piano teacher her monster of a controlling mother with whom she lives parenthetical and even shares a bed and the handsome music student who falls in love with her but then attacks her physically, mentally, and sexually and sends her completely over the edge into utter madness. The extremeness of these characters seemed to me improbable, 
both individually and in their toxic interactions. But I kept reading this long, basically well-written book, parenthetical. (laughs) (laughs) Parenthetical. Skipping pages after three quarters of the way through. All right. (laughs) Because I could not believe that there would not be some redeeming resolution at the end. There was none. Dot, dot, dot. And the end even more depressing than the beginning. I felt utterly empty at the end. So uh, this person who skimmed the book was really not satisfied with how the book was. So here's here's the thing. That like first paragraph, they're like basically right. She's saying factual <laughs> things that like, yes, these characters are morally bankrupt and doing terrible things. But everything else that's supposed to be the point of the book, like that's the whole takeaway. That's the whole thesis of the work. Like, I don't... <laughs> I just love like admitting that you skimmed the book towards the end. Just At like the end, yeah, you're <laughs> almost done. Just like keep going. But uh, yeah, I I, th- I think they should have been on the pod. That would have been. Uh, they would have had been a, a lot to say. That would have been something. All right, yeah, I don't understand the uh, like. Like, I, I understand, like, yes, it's uncomfortable to read. I mean, this book is an uncomfortable book, but it's and I understand it's difficult sometimes to read and be with characters that you just don't like for a mm-hmm. long time. But and maybe just personally, I don't I've never really had a problem with that. But like to just say that that makes it bad. Like the whole book, <laughs> the book's not the book is not trying to tell you that anyone in this book is a good person. Like, that's not the point. Like, the point is not to make them redeeming. The point is to show them within the world that they find themselves in. You know, it's not like at the end, Erica walks away from the coffee shop like, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. Like, that's not (laughs) far and away not the point. (laughs) Uh, That's that's amazing. What are the two stars for, though? (laughs) <laughs> that's true yeah I, well two out of five stars um i mean it's not like you can give zero stars on amazon so uh you know you have to give a one star by default if you're going to review it and maybe the additional star was due to how basically well written it was uh, maybe she likes the publication maybe she's like a big fan of the book i mean my book is a pretty <laughs> cool cover on it yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah my the cover of my book's naked is a, is a naked woman so maybe they were into that i don't know but yeah they're like i'm an art enjoyer but this is just miserable yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you read that when you did because again it was after just this whole conversation of us just being like this was miserable this is uh, very tough to get through but i loved it and then this person comes in like what the fuck i'm sad like <laughs> <laughs> And if I'm sad, it's not good. Yeah, I don't like being sad. I was not smiling once between (laughs) page one to 280. I don't know what happened. Um, (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Thank (laughs) you for allowing me to share. Of course. Okay, so let's bring the movie in. Sure. Uh, Like I uh, mentioned up top, it was adapted to a film in 2001 by Austrian uh, director, Michael Heineke. This movie won big at the 2001 Cannes Film Festival. It won the Grand Prix and uh, Isabelle Huppert and Benoit Mag- uh, Magamel, I think, yeah, uh, who played Walter Klemmer. They both won Best Actress and Best Actor, which is 
um, unprecedented for the Cannes Film Festival. It, they even had to change the rules after this that um, the one film can't win this many awards. It didn't <laughs> even win the Palme d'Or. Michael Heineke went on to win that for the White Ribbon uh, a few years after. But I said some interesting things about this movie on the first pod. I, I, I loved it and I still love it, but I kept talking about how like, yes, obviously this movie is in, in French, but I kept talking about how my expectations going into it were like uh, an avant-garde French film. Like I didn't know fucking anything about French cinema. I've seen a fair amount of French cinema since then. This is very different from all of that. Uh, this is a, an erotic psychological thriller. This is not like a Godard film. This is not breathless this and, and i and i quite enjoy breathless don't get me wrong don't go into this movie with that expectation it's not at all I, I mean i don't think you should go into any movie with that kind of expectation but like just especially this is not at all uh that stereotype of french cinema uh but i hate that i kept saying that on the first pod so i think it was important <laughs> to mention that um like I said, this was my third time watching it. Rihanna, you, I think on the first pod, said you had seen it like five or six times. Yeah. So that's so probably elevated like, to like almost ten, right? I was about to say, I've seen this movie so many times. Um, I love this movie. And, yeah, and I, I was going to say, does it, does it still, do, do you still like enjoy it after so many times? Yeah, it, it still makes me feel something. It, like, I... I don't know. I'm one of those people where I, I just don't get tired of movies or songs or if I like something, it's pretty impossible for me to exhaust it. Yeah. Um, so I, I still take away just as much on just the, the primal movie watcher level of uh, enjoying myself and, and not getting bored or anything like that. And, you know, I, I really think it kind of going back to what you said about how like this is not the kind of like a romantic avant-garde film. I think it is kind of supposed to to ring similar to those kinds of movies because with Hanukkah, I think the way that Funny Games, which is one of my favorite movies, and which I don't think you had seen when we recorded this episode. I had not. I wanted to say, ago. let's talk about Hanukkah. Let's yeah. go, baby. <laughs> um, the way that Funny Games is Hanukkah's answer to horror films Yes. Um, I, I think this is his answer to romance films. And I think Jelinek kind of had a similar um, intention. Maybe it wasn't as prioritized as Hanukkah was uh, in in his delivery of just how much this is supposed to kind of play on your typical romance. But yeah, I again, it, as far as companionship, I do almost see this as a companion to funny games with the way that funny games is common on on violence in films and why do we seek out violence in movies why do we enjoy it especially because Hanukkah hates violence um, uh-huh. I, I think the piano teacher the film is his answer to you know like what are you doing seeking out romance movies like yeah. what do you want from them do you want man, men and women loving each other because that's not how it works in real life like it's not always this smooth or happy or you ha- if you're going to talk about the dynamics between men and women in relationships and how it uh, translates into like movie cliches of the man pursuing the woman and she falls for him, then there's no way to have that conversation without thinking about the kind of societal uh, longstanding structures, again, that buzzword of the patriarchy, uh, mm-hmm. that kind of predetermine those kinds of tropes, which movies make so romantic but Hanukkah is not interested in making it romantic, you know? 
Yeah, I think Heineke, I've seen four of his movies now, uh, two of which were in the past week. Um, <laughs> but but that's okay. I've seen them. Uh, I've seen I've seen the Piano Teacher. I've seen Funny Games, Cachet, and um, the Seventh Continent, which is his first film. And I think he is just an absolute genius. I think he is a master filmmaker. I love his movies. They're I don't really know of any other director really to compare him to. Which brings us to our second quote from <laughs> the old pod. Um, <laughs> I said that the, my <laughs> big takeaway. Sorry, that was a lot. Um, no, you're fine. <laughs> um, I said that the, the piano teacher was directed. It felt like a more modern Paul Thomas Anderson movie. <laughs> yeah, I and, knew the quote you're going to bring up. Uh, I can see why I said that. Like I, <laughs> uh, I understand what twenty year old Josh's brain was thinking when we recorded that episode. Um, I don't agree with that now, though, uh, because PTA loves to get natural performances out of his actors, but they're very different in terms of what they actually like to focus on. Mm -hmm. PTA loves, um, at least in more of his recent films, obsessive male psyche and men who are often lost, but also passionate about something. Whereas Heineke is all about like everything that you just said on top of characters doing terrible things, but all in the world of like a chaotic world that he sets up. He loves focusing on like inner decay of family life. Uh, mm -hmm. There's almost a destructive quality to all of his films and not in a, obviously I, I agree with you that I think that funny games is the compare is the companion piece. He loves like he'll take an upper like middle class European family that seems to like just be going about their daily life. And then something within it, something will happen that will then just kind of decay them from the outside in and then bringing in heavier themes of, like you said, violence in media. Cachet has a lot about colonialism. The seventh continent is a lot about materialism. And then this obviously dynamics within sexual relationship or sexual repression and the patriarchal gender expectations. Uh, so long and short of it is I, I would not agree with that quote from <clears throat> from the first pod. I understand why I said that and what I was thinking when I said that. But watching it these past couple times, I'm like, this is not like you couldn't pick two different directors. You know, they're very um, they're they're fairly polar opposites. Um but I think you said that um, one time to me that Heineke was probably the perfect person to direct this movie. And yeah. I totally agree. I think the way that, especially just like in his framing, he loves to like make the camera and then in turn the audience, they're almost sneaking through the movie. Like they're oh, yeah. almost just like focusing on characters like we're spying on them and not in a way that's like bird watching, but yeah. in an intrusive way. Like yeah. um, it's not inviting at all. It's very... It, it feels wrong, but it makes it feel complete. Yeah, and it especially works for the piano teacher because uh, Erica is <clears throat> voyeuristic and her character really... I think I pulled a quote directly to kind of back this up um, from the text, but I do not have it in front of me. But her character definitely kind of like learns just from watching, which is like ironic considering how talented she is at the piano and, and she is a teacher of the piano. But... When it comes to everything else, especially uh, sexuality and, and relationships, she has to kind of watch and learn. So like you said, like his camera work um, or just direction, very voyeuristic 
And uh, Erica does a lot of that watching and learning through being a voyeur, through following people. And then um, we can get into this later, but of course, the, the influence of pornography. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, Haneke is like the perfect director for depicting that kind of uh, character trait, I guess. And Isabella Hooper is like the perfect actress for showcasing that kind of, you know, in the shadows watching or, or learning and thinking because there are so many shots in the movie that <clears throat> like long shots on Isabella Hooper's face, Erica's mm-hmm. face, just watching. And we get to see just the little way that her face might kind of twitch and show some emotion or, uh, or calculation. So, you know, while, while in the movie we're missing all that really wonderful subconscious introspection that we get through the book, uh, I think Isabella Huppert really does a wonderful job showcasing that on her face. And and I yes. like that we're not... <laughs> like, imagine if like there was some god-awful voiceover <laughs> track oh. in her head reading out like what she's thinking. Like I really love that Haneke has enough respect for the, the craft and for the viewer and for the performers to kind of leave it more subdued and quiet. Yes. And, you know, talking about like energy and adrenaline, I almost think that the book is more adrenaline and, and filled and energetic than the movie. I think the movie is really like subdued, even with uh, the violence towards the end of the film. It, it leaves a lot more up to the viewer, in my opinion. That might just be me being kind of like stupid, <laughs> <laughs> not like understanding films, which was clear from uh, our first episode of this podcast, <laughs> missing the point. But I think Haneke really kind of leaves it up to the viewer more to take away what they want to take away or or f- will feel the most necessary to take away. Whereas with the novel, Jelinek is like, this is how it is. This is what I'm talking about. And this is how I feel about it. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. The book is definitely more explicit. And, yeah. and in that the themes are up front, like the, the dynamics in the thesis is made clear from the get go. And not that the film doesn't establish its relationships well, because it absolutely does. The opening scene with Erica and her mother is feels like it's lifted right out of the book. But like you can really tell the relationship between them and how tumultuous it is from like them hitting each other and then them crying and holding each other together. And Mm -hmm. then the kind of conflicting pillow talk that we that they have is is a perfect setup for their relationship but i'm glad that you brought up that like a lot of close-ups of isabel Huppert's face because and i want to talk about her performance in in a, in a second but heineke does this he has such a great grasp of cinematic li- language mm-hmm. and using those close-ups especially she he, he does one that's just like having isabel Huppert's face like right in the middle of the frame like looking off like at the recital or during Clamor's masterclass audition or even like the very last shot of the movie, you know, yeah. uh, where, where she stabs herself is like so contemplative. Like, yes, it's not as explicit, obviously, as the novel, but like, and yeah, I'm glad that there isn't a fucking voiceover, <laughs> uh, you know, just like uh, he's he doesn't get the uh, he's not really getting the soul of this piece. But I there's something in this boy, you know, like I would I, I, would, I would hate that. You know, that would be terrible. Again, the American version might do that, um, but not to shit on American cinema, but we're not. talking oh, I about will. It, so uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so like you can clearly see that and again that's why the performers are so good and the characters still feel so realistic and um or at least 
realized because of how contemplative each shot is and how um, there's so much subtext and stuff behind what we're seeing that you understand motivations and you are willing to go with the characters. And there's still so much for the movie to reveal like you can kind of tell, like other than like in the flashbacks in the book, you can kind of see early on where certain relationships are going. Not like in terms of like, oh, I know what happens at the end, like off the top. But like the first time I saw the movie, I was not at all expecting Erica to crush glass and put it in her student's coat, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was reading the novel, I was like, oh, OK, I can kind of see where the buildup to something along those lines would be and some of the values that are put in place early on. And maybe yeah. also that it just comes clear more on multiple viewings in the movie. Um, no, I, I would say that the book does a lot, um, or makes it more clear that her mother has really been cultivating that bitterness and hatred in her daughter since she was born, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I do agree also that the movie moves slower um, and I and I'm a fan of slow burn cinema. Do, yeah. do not get me wrong. I, I I love a good slow burn. And but this one doesn't even feel like that slow to me. Like I'm so interested in what's going on. But also Heineke fills the frame. Like he makes each frame look like just is so interesting. Like he fills it like with just back like extras or just like even when she's sitting in the fucking like um drive-in and there's like a poster for frequency and you can clearly see jim caviezel's name i'm like this feels like a full shot i'm not complaining you know um and it's so rich in that way and i think that also his i think that's evident in all of his movies uh, especially in terms of pacing where his first acts are always great he's like a great first act director where he just hooks you and he like does something immediately where you're like I don't know what's happening, but I am interested and I want to see where this goes. And then he'll test you through the second act. And then you're like, huh, I was not expecting this to happen. I wasn't expecting to feel this way so soon. And then the third act just like collapses on you. And that's like in my viewing of like a structure behind a cave film where like funny games is a little different because like a lot of shit happens like right in the middle of that movie. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, just watching Cache, you know, the the setup for that with like the mystery is already there. And then as things start to unfold through the second act, you're like, oh, all right, where are we going? He yeah. really tests you that way. And I think this film is no different. Like the third act is explosive. Like the third act of the, the piano teacher is insane. And in, in, a, in a good way because of just how damaging it is. Yeah. But he sets up, like I said, in that first scene with the mother and then seeing erica's relationship with her students how clemmer is first introduced where he's circling them in the elevator is you know very eerie yeah it just plays so well to the pacing and heineke is just so good at that so i'm not bored when i'm watching this movie but it obviously is much it the pacing of the movie and the pacing of the book are are obviously different yeah and you know there there are like way bigger things in the novel that i think Hanukkah really expertly kind of abridged and and made more not short that's like it's not as simple as that but that scene that you just brought up of uh, Walter circling the elevator which I love mm-hmm. um that's not in the book right. uh them meeting at the private concert is but we don't 
have that exact introduction in the book. Like like Walter's introduction in the book, if I remember correctly, is kind of more subtle. I think it's mentioned that he's just been a student of hers for like a while. Like there's no him trying out for a master class, yes. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because I get the impression in the book that he is not as talented of a musician as he is in the film. Like the book really focuses on Walter being more of an athlete. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Which the film just does not. And and I really like that Haneke kind of picked where to focus and what to highlight or kind of make his own, like making Walter so musically virtuous, um, and, which kind of almost bumps him up to an equal in terms of understanding music the way that Erica does. Whereas in the book, it's really explicit that she knows music better than he does and that pisses him off. Um, yes. Uh-huh. So we... and. His intentions, Walter's intentions in the book are, again, way more explicit that he basically just sees Erica and women dating, sex, whatever, as a sport to conquer. And, you know, we don't get anything as explicit as that in the film, as explicitly stated or implied. But I do think we get the really great, you know, circling the elevator scene of... And that's a nice little visual metaphor of Walter circling prey or, or however you want to put it. And and him really seeing Erica as something to like conquer and pursue rather than someone to love, which is, you know, very sad for Erica. And then we do get that really, again, another great visual metaphor. I love this scene. There's like two figure skaters out on the ice and then mm-hmm. Walter and his teammates come to play hockey and you just see all these men just like swarm the ice rink and yeah push the girls out mm-hmm. uh but, but he says something to them really quick to like kind of charm them but they were still unfairly pushed out from the ice rink and so th- so there's the really huge complicated themes that are present in the novel of regular casual misogyny under patriarchy are present in the film but Hanukkah really knows how to like <laughs> to use the same word again abridge them uh and make them more I don't want to use the word tight because it's not like they're confusing in the novel, but he really knows how to like make it his own. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I think that's fair to say. I don't know. Maybe I not make that, it his own, but, uh, you know, he does. Um, I mean, I, I personally think, I think it's, I think that scene that you're talking about where they're pushing them off the, um, off the ice. I think that, speaks more to the lack of regulation to the open skating hours that's going on at the <laughs> at the rink. Clearly it's just chaos there. They gotta figure that out. Um it's really unfortunate. Uh, um, but uh I, I agree that I think most of the changes that they made from the novel to the movie are barring any like structural, like overall storytelling methods like obvious like changes based on the mediums. I think most of the stuff that is present in the, in the movie you can find in the book. Some things that I noticed that are different are like you mentioned, like Walter's a hockey player. He's not a rower. Yeah. Uh, it, like, like he is in the, in the, in the book, like, and also you mentioned that he um, is much more of a musician in the movie than he is in the book. Uh, they show the masterclass auditions, which has one of my favorite shots, like from cut match cut from the uh, the recital to the one one student coming out just sobbing from the audition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so awesome. So great. And they make the student that Erica, who cuts her hand with the glass, she's much more of a character like because in the book, if I recall, it's really just that one scene at that rehearsal 
where Walter goes and talks to her. Cause I think she may be mentioned early, but like, I just remember her in that one scene, Walter goes and talks to her and then Erica's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, and then she goes down and, uh, puts the stuff in her coat, but they actually make her like more of a full character and her mother is in, um, in the film too. I- am I correct on that? I feel like they drew um, out that character, that well, student character more. You're a little incorrect. Um, understandably so though, because it's kind of confusing. Um, in the book, it's like two separate characters. In the book, Erica puts the glass in the coat pocket of just like a random violin player that mm-hmm. Walter is chatting up while they're all practicing for this huge recital, which takes that practice takes place at like an elementary school or something, which I really <laughs> like that detail um, rather than this like grand, beautiful conservatory. Uh, but the character that you were just describing, her name's Anna of mm-hmm. this student that Erica kind of sees herself in this piano student. She does exist in the book. And I think it's just like a really quick throwaway line kind of mentioning that there is a student that, Erica has something close to affection for and kind of likes and it's her student that she sees herself the most in because that student Anna also has an overbearing domineering mother almost like a stage mom and Mm -hmm. so she's present in the novel just by mention but she doesn't get (laughs) maimed by Erica Um, and and I thought it was interesting I wondered why they kind of combined those two characters into this one character in the film to be the one that Erica is the closest thing to nice to not exactly the nicest, but as close as possible. And then she ends up ruining (laughs) her uh, future perspective as a pianist. Right. But I really liked being able to see uh, more of that character because it, it was interesting to see Erica kind of bounce off of one of her students. Mm hmm. And that's another thing, too, about the film. I, I really like it. I, th- I don't think there was much dialogue to pull directly from the novel. It, it seemed like a right. lot of the dialogue and script was made independently. So seeing Erica have interactions with that student that aren't present in the novel and, and how Hanake would imagine that would go. I really liked that. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's and it also I, I think both the, the Anna and her mother are, are both played by great actresses. The mother obviously is the mother from Funny Games. So great mm-hmm. to see her again. Heineke does like to drop in like other actors that he's used before. I think the the one professor that's in the room with her when Anna is first playing with the soloist, the, the one guy in the back who's like mouthing along <laughs> uh, with with him as he's singing is uh, is the main character in The Seventh Continent. So it's great to see him again. I was just thinking uh, to go back to what you were saying about um, Anna, that character. I really like that they combined those two characters. I say that now just learning that they're two combined people. Again, <laughs> I read the book. I promised I, it was a little, <laughs> a little confusing. Um, but I, I like that because it makes like a clear decision that Erica makes. Like it's not just I think it adds a little bit more depth to it because like it's very clear that she sees herself in this character early on and that she has some musical and talent and potential. And so when she sees this one, let me back up a little bit. Sorry. I'm all over the place. today. No, you're fine. Um, Her mother says that one thing, I think at the recital where um, Erica's mother says, don't let your pupils outshine you or something, something along those lines. Like I was thinking that that moment where she sees the two of them talking and hitting it off as like this choice of like, nope, 
this is going to be, he's going to be mine. Like I'm going to pursue this relationship and nothing is going to get um, in the way. She's willing to do kind of anything for that. And on top of that, I was also thinking that like a lot of the movie itself, and this might be pretty broad and we can kind of expand on this in when we talk about analysis and stuff, it's like kind of adding to the idea of like sexual repression and stuff that's in this things that are in this relationship. It's like, attempting to obtain something or get something that you want so desperately and then reacting when something doesn't go your way. And so how we see these characters go after chase those sexual feelings and realizing there is an outlet for it. But then when it actually doesn't go their way, like obviously Walter reacting to the letter and feeling that uh, he like he's giving love, but then he is getting something else back, um, I think is uh, very present, especially kind of coming to realization towards the end of not only the novel, but and the movie. So I was thinking that's kind of an early inclination of a visual and decisive representation, or it's a decision that's made that reflects that theme. And I, I enjoy that. And I, again, like watching that, it's so hard to watch where she just like comes out in her hand. It's just like dripping. It's like, oh my God. Like it's just, <laughs> uh, it's insane. Or, uh, y- you know, you mentioned like, uh, Erica's mother constantly being like, don't let your students outshine you. Um, maybe, you know, the choice to combine those two characters and making this this young girl who Erica sees herself in, I think maybe that also can kind of be seen as Erica sees the student kind of Walter talking to her and thinks, you know, the student with her youth is already kind of outshining me because that's a mm-hmm. huge focus in the book, which I don't think is like as explicitly present in the movie. Um, And we've already kind of talked about like what is more obvious in the book compared to the movie. And there's even more to talk about, but um, Erica's age. Yes. um, And how much she truly is just so bitter over not having had a proper youth and Mm -hmm. being able to be youthful and be a young girl, a teenage girl and a, a young adult. And that it was basically robbed from her. And and Jelinek is just like so biting and, and unforgiving and just like caustic in how she really lays it out how women are valued only for, you know, looks and youthfulness and how in a very like ironic voice kind of. Um, but there is like truth behind the sentiment, obviously. Jelinek as the narrator is stating that, you know, Erica doesn't have much going for her anymore with how old she is and... And those kinds of conversations like are not the most obvious and present in the film. I, I think Erica's mother kind of says something like, "You're too old to be wearing these kinds of dresses." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they do. So, they do uh, collapse it down a little bit. They, yeah, they do. Um, and I, I think, and, and that makes sense because I, I think that it's much easier to do that in film as just a part of a conversation or just getting straight to the point. I mean, we've obviously talked about that a lot in this um, series already. I'm glad you brought up her age because I think that is a, a theme in the book that is so present is this idea of decay. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. <laughs> uh, like, not only is there mention of Erica growing older, it's almost like she's falling apart, you know, yeah. um, like <sighs> that she like describing her like, the wrinkles in her skin and the look of like her hair and the way that she dresses. And, but then in, by contrast, how young Walter is and how he's very blocky. And then obviously in their discussions later where he's like, you stink and you're just, you're going to grow old and you're going to rot essentially is so present throughout. And you do feel like you're aging with this character, even though the book 
and the story doesn't span that much time taking, I mean, not focusing on the flashbacks, like just the actual story of the, like the narrative itself doesn't span that much time, but you do feel mm-hmm. like this character goes through a definitive change and that she is com- like older by the end of it. Yeah. And, and in the novel, it's so just aggressive and miserable. I, I think at one point, Jelinek says something like, in reference to Erica, her her rotting genitals or something like that. Yes, that's um, right. Uh-huh. Which is just so brutal, and oh god! But it's it's like she just she just gets it. Like it, I think Jelinek is kind of like turning up to one hundred and ten, mm-hmm. uh, the kind of aggressiveness that you know women experience. I'm going to say, take a drink every time you hear me say patriarchy, but, you know, living under a a patriarchal influence or a bureaucratic influence of your value really being dependent on uh, your youthfulness or your beauty, whereas men aging are seen more as having gained more wisdom and value, consequentially. And Jelinek really just lays it out as harshly and grotesquely as possible that you know, this is how it is. She really captures the kind of like, I I don't want to get too into theme or analysis if you're not ready to go there yet. So like, I could just kind of like, let's save it. I think that's going to be a really big discussion uh, later, (laughs) but I like where I like where you're going with it. I really like where you're going with it. (laughs) Just, just to finish, I wanted to say one more quick thing about the decay element of it. I think that adds to more of why Heineke was so good as a director for this is because he's dealt with that theme before. I have not seen this film, so I don't want to speak on it, but just like one of his more recent films, Amore, is oh, about two older older lovers. So like he obviously has dealt with decay of life, decay of human interaction, and but like he's done he's really played with that in his other films. And so I think he does it in a much more visual sense here than it is in a full on than it is discussed necessarily. Um Yeah. And I think that I mean, I, I think the biggest example of that is the Erica that you see in the first shot of the movie is not at all the Erica that you see in the last shot. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's like even just looking like just looking at her where she like when she stabs herself is so she doesn't even have to be doing anything. And it's so disturbing, like just like how weathered she looks and how clearly destroyed by everything that's happened to her yeah and how she's like she's like almost yellow like she yeah. has this kind of yellow qual- like look to her yeah uh, and, and i i think that is just really well conveyed visually rather than someone saying like i feel old you know it's <laughs> it's much uh it's more of just like how they the actors are uh occupying this the frame yeah and again on hanake being the perfect person to adapt and from jelinek's work in in the text during that scene where Erica stabs herself, Jelinek says something like the woman bears her teeth like a sick horse and mm-hmm. and throws her head back. And it's just like bleak, terrible ways to be like describing uh, people and just like sick imagery, basically, or very discomforting, at least. And Haneke knows how to just like put that on screen without being too obvious about it. We've mentioned uh, her several times already, but let's. Uh, I think this is a perfect time to bring in the third and final quote that I have from the old pod. Oh my god! Uh, so, but this is from both of us, so we're 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 both on the chopping block here. Well, who said uh, it? If it's from both of us, or did we th- both at one point say it? I think it's. It was a. It was a. It's more of an idea, and then we both agreed and pontificated on it. <laughs> okay. 
So uh, we both talked about how Isabel Huppert is, this gives one of the best performances we've ever seen. Um, yeah. I personally still agree with that. Oh, I, think I still agree is, too. There you go. See, see, we each get, we each get one, we get one in the pro one in the con column. All right. Um, uh, and I mean, we talked about it so much already, but like, I don't care. I will never stop gushing about just how unbelievable she is in this movie. And I think that it's one of those performances that like, again, she on the surface, again, in terms of like actual physical action, isn't doing a lot, but it's all subtext and little facial movements, how tears well up in her eyes, how she delivers her lines. And again, how weathered she feels like by the end of it, because she also isn't given like like the conversations that she's given aren't like it's not like a rat a tat kind of fast moving like pace of conversation. But she always feels totally in command of the character. Yeah. And uh, is so interesting to watch, like just the scene where she goes to the video store and watches the um, watches porn and is sniffing the tissue. I'm just like, what's going on? How you doing? Please, yeah. please tell me more. Like, I want I just want to know um, so much more about this character. And she's at the center of this movie. And if she doesn't work, the rest of the movie doesn't work. Um, and I think she brings in so much also from the novel, like she feels like she has this like oppressive backstory and this tumultuous relationship with her mother that's yeah. been there for so long. And I, I just think she's a dynamite. Yeah. Essentially. Well, well, I was about to say, and then you practically just said it bringing in from the novel uh, through her performance. You know, we talked earlier about the kind of movement that the novel has and the frantic, but stifled energy that the movie mm-hmm. has. And uh, whenever Isabelle Huppert was like walking on screen as Erica, I, I could like feel it like yes. the way that it's described in the novel, Erica, like rushing around and swooping and everything like Isabel Huppert, she's so tiny and slight, but when she would like walk through the, the mall or whatever kind of store that was with all the like bookstores where she caught her one student or like walking through an auditorium mm-hmm. like, was like there at the drive-in just whenever she was walking and the camera was following her, she's so little and so many people tower over her or shove past her but she'll just like whip her head around and like give a hard stare and yes the way that yes. she walks like is so commanding and it's mm-hmm. just so good yeah that was actually one thing i really focused on this watch is like her and the actor who plays walter they are i mean he is also i, I don't want to sell him short he is magnificent and he's i think he's just terrific also in this movie but one thing that i think that they both do really well that I hadn't really noticed before. Obviously, Benoit, I think is his first name, is already, he already has like a very boyish look about him, the way his, um, like his facial structure, his hair kind of being down. Very comically handsome, like a kind yeah. of doll. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, of course you look yeah. like this. Yeah, he's very doll-like. But Isabel Hubert also has like some interesting like almost adolescent qualities both like like i was thinking more of like like you mentioned she's very short like she's very tiny but like the way that she walks around especially in the scene where she goes to break the glass and she like almost like skips down the stairs like from the auditorium like Mm -hmm. it was so like when i was watching i was like she almost has this like giddiness in her is like about what she's about to do like the way that she just moves and the fact that again that they have this kind of boyish or girlish quality to them and then these relationships are so uh emotionally and personally damaging but that just makes it the fact that they feel like she feels larger than 
I guess they both technically feel larger than their actual size because Walter has this confidence and giant, like as oh, if he's, yeah. he's six obnoxious. five. Yeah, he's so obnoxious. <laughs> like after in the bathroom scene where he's just like jumping up and down and he's just like running outside, like yeah. ah, yeah. Also like, present in the book that like huge yes. commanding energy he has. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that they that just makes them again feel so much more uh, developed and they're not just actors occupying a movie you know how many movies do we see now i'll shit on american cinema for this because there's so many <laughs> movies that i see now coming out where i'm just like these are just movies with people in them like they're just this is just tom holland standing next to mark Wahlberg, and there's nothing else to it yeah you know? i was just about to say well now the state of american cinema is people just standing there and every yes. time you see like a, a screen grab from a movie that's going to come out it's people just standing there and i'm like what is this supposed to mean <laughs> Good comparison. no it's, it, it's yeah exactly it's so and there's no there's no green screen in this movie they filmed in an actual <laughs> bathroom that's pretty nice <laughs> I totally also forgot about the bat in the bathroom scene where uh, Walter comes in and then he just like so gracefully and easily like kicks himself up above the stall and he's just like kind of hanging like halfway over. I was yeah. laughing. I thought and you that know, was the, like Yeah, and that happens in the book too. And yeah. I, I god, I might sound obnoxious, but I, I think that is again supposed to be kind of a visual metaphor for just how intrusive and domineering and Oh yeah, he is. Uh, which, or, or maybe that's very obvious, and I don't sound annoying bringing that up. And you know, really quick, while we're talking about how great the cast is, I do just want to say that the actress who plays Erica's mother is oh. great because oh, you know we already kind of touched on how we don't get to spend as much time with Erica and her mother as we do in the novel, and and, and therefore by extension we spend less time with the mother as a character, and we don't get that introspection on the mother's part that the narrator and the piano teacher offers us. Um, like we, we get to kind of hear what the mother thinks of her daughter <laughs> a few times yeah. throughout the novel. And it's awful. Um, yeah, it's but, pretty bad. Yeah. But the actress who plays her mother in the film, just like watching her on screen, just like made me so anxious. And again, that like frantic adrenaline rush of like, almost like a caged animal. Like I got to get out of here. I got to yeah. get away from this mother um, because watching her just, just fidget and try to always be looking or looming over Erica or always got to be like touching Erica or, and just the, the way that she delivered her kind of like underhanded or backhanded comments. Um, Mm -hmm. She really did an amazing job. And uh, even though we don't get as much of the mother daughter time as we do in the novel, uh, she, she, she does the job of like kind of making her presence known throughout the entire thing. And that's also partly Isabel Huppert's performance, um, mm-hmm. But also, just you—you you get the feeling that she's constantly looming over the entire movie. The mother. Yes, absolutely. So. She is fantastic. Um, she's also in Cachet. Yeah, uh, she plays um, the mother of um, of George. I believe. I believe is his name. Uh, but yeah, she is absolutely terrific. Having the first thing that she does, having you know, her just take Erica's bag and just like rummage through it and finding that dress and then just like that divulges into conflict having that be the first thing that we are introduced to to both of these characters as is brilliant because again you understand how bad of a situation that they both are in but again that then that scene where they're like 
hugging each other and crying. It's just like, oh, shit. Okay, there's something else going on here. Yeah, she's phenomenal. And I agree that like there are times where it it feels awkward, but not in like an office awkward. Like it just like goes on and on for so long. It's just like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? I'm like, I'm so anxious. I'm shaking like kind of feeling. Yeah. and I agree, like when she, when they're in like like when they're reading the letter, when Erica and Walter are reading the letter and she's like just like getting up and like, oh, there's a creak <laughs> in the wood. I better turn the TV volume back on so no one can hear that. Or like she keeps drinking, which is another thing in the book of how like she lo- like going into like the liqueurs that um that her mother uh, loves to drink. Yeah. Uh, she also doesn't get a lot of dialogue to really play with, but uh, as much as the other performers, but how she really manifests emotion just by sitting in her chair like when erica's like walking behind her and how she like almost starts to cry is yeah and that's that's some serious acting because again in the book we get um and and it's not like it's it's too ham-fisted in the book because i think jelinek through her kind of like very dry ironic humor um almost makes it kind of funny but we get those moments where the quote-unquote action is mother just sitting in a chair, but the narrator is saying that, you know, mother is thinking of the perfect time to bring up how old she's getting to remind Erica that she'll be dead soon, so Erica better be nicer to her, and that, like, horrible manipulative cruelty that in the book we're able to just, like, read and be aware of. Mm -hmm. Uh, We kind of have to see it on screen uh, in the movie, and it works because the actress who plays the mother plays it so well, so you know, kudos to her. I feel like it's so easy to kind of like forget to talk about her performance when talking about Isabelle Huppert and Buona, mm-hmm. that guy. Um, but she really is just as good as the two leads. Yeah, absolutely. It, again, it's another thing where it doesn't work without her because that relationship is so like it. If that if the rest of that performance was bad, <laughs> then the scene of Erica just like lunging herself at her and start like kissing her at the end. Yeah, would be like I don't want to say comical, but it definitely <laughs> wouldn't have worked. And that scene well, yeah, needs because, to work. And it works so much because you really see the like fruition and and expression of just all the like fucked up head games of Erica's mother playing, of constantly knowing how to keep her daughter down self-esteem wise, but knowing how to kind of lure her in with affection and praise and like the constant push pull to kind of puppeteer her daughter to be whatever she needs her to be. And you see it explode as Erica, you know, kind of getting some wires crossed, I guess, uh, to simplify mm-hmm. it and being like, I love you, I need you, I love you, and um, trying to kiss her and grope her. And uh, like you said, especially without the context of the book, like just watching the movie alone, like you really need the performance on the part of the mother who, I don't know the actress's name, but you need that to show just how much she's really skewed Erica's head and just murkied the waters of, or or the line between mother and uh, spouse almost Mm -hmm. um, for that scene to be as effective and heavy as it is. And the actress who plays the mother just completely nails it. Kudos to her and the entire cast. I mean, I think this movie is kind of timeless in in that way because of how, I mean, there aren't really any indicators of what time it is, really. I mean, there's like um, maybe some dated like tech. Um, maybe actually, maybe not. Um, I, I have no idea if porn viewing booths are even like a thing anymore. 
Yeah, um, I guess that would be the big thing. And, and the, the very uh, obvious VHS pornography. <laughs> yeah, and I guess the uh, DVDs. <laughs> the popular drive-in, I guess, is, a, is yeah, thing. yeah, that too. But nothing that like takes you out of it, you know, because I think everything feels at least it makes sense and realized within the story. The one, actually, one thing this just reminded me: one big change, the biggest, one of the bigger changes that I noticed. In the movie, there's that scene at the drive-in where she watches the couple have sex. And then in the book, she's, like, looking into someone's, like, house. She's, like... Uh, I don't... Like, th- I thought in the book uh, she was at the amusement park. Like, is the that grounds the kinda... park? I thought she was, like, looking in... Like, she's, like, hiding in the bushes looking through, like, someone's, like, front uh, window or something. No, she's in the bushes, but... Um, uh, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Um, <laughs> but you probably I know be. better than me. I was. I, I can't read. <laughs> she. So, she's sorry. just. She's kind of viewing. Uh, I don't want to use the word couple because I think there is some heavy implication that uh, it's it's a prostitute mm-hmm. and a man um, just in like a like a field. They're mm. they're not in a house. Uh, okay, I thought yeah. I thought it was I thought it was like just in a neighborhood. But what's but, also important about that is that she um, no one notices her. Yeah, and I thought it was um, also interesting. In the book, you mean no one notices her. Correct, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was interesting in the film that A, she gets noticed and caught, and B, that, you know, there is kind of the... Um, you can assume that it's a couple, like, like an actual couple, not a man and a prostitute, because, you know, it's like date night or something. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, again, in the novel, Jeanne kind of uh, does a preamble talking about prostitution in Vienna and the misogynistic dynamic of, you know, men who patronize prostitutes. And so we get kind of like a preamble and like a background on like, like the Turk, the Turkish man going to the prostitute. And whereas in the movie, it, it, it just kind of appears to be like a couple, like on a yeah. date or something. Yeah. Just having a little fun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, that's, see, this is, see, I knew this would happen. This is why this conversation is good is because I'm learning more about what I didn't read correctly. You know? <laughs> no worries. Um, I had, I'm pretty sure the, the whole, like, you know, Turk John visiting, visiting feels like the wrong word to use, but you know what I mean? Um, a yeah. prostitute. I'm pretty sure I had to reread that chapter a couple times. Cause I was like, there's a lot going on here and. I don't think Jelinek would just deflect from the story for no reason like that. Because that was the only part of the book that did feel kind of like very removed from the narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I think I had I probably reread that chapter a couple of times. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I again, kind of went along with it because it was like, oh, this is like the scene from the movie in the drive-in, you know, like mm-hmm. so I could get that recognition um, and understood the sexual pleasure that comes from it with with erica as a character yeah Um, but yeah it is it is very like even though the the flashbacks feel like a separate narrative they're intentional and clear to show a backstory i I hate to use the word backstory but like (laughs) kind of a deeper understanding of the character where that feels like there's a bit more of a side plot of danger going on oh Um, yeah so i i get i get what you mean how separate it can feel yeah 
So the the movie ending is and I'm I'm only focusing on the movie first is because that was my initial my introduction to the story was sure. the movie. So so the way that the movie ends is there's the final confrontation between Erica and Walter at her apartment. There's rape involved and beating and it's awful and it goes on for so long and there's a lot of one takes and you know locking her mother in the bedroom because Walter is feeling so maybe betrayed is the not the word I'm looking for but like a feeling of betrayal I don't I I don't know if I'd even call it betrayal I'd say being offended offended I guess is a better term yeah offended is probably better um of like offering love and getting all of the because she reads the he reads the letter and she wants all of the these um seemingly heinous things done to her in uh in a sexual manner and so he feels very offended by that and then goes and a base and not basically just attacks her and rapes her and then the next scene is they're going to the recital that anna was supposed to play in and while there she sees walter again who just says hello professor very excited to hear you play and then goes into the theater because eric is filling in yes because erica is filling in for 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 Anna and she just stands there looks she she brings a knife with her because she was most likely going to attack uh, Walter she stabs it into herself and she just walks away and leaves a fantastic ending I yeah. think I, I love the way the movie ends and also it, um, it feels it feels so severe because I know something that I was thinking about was oh my god she just like completely walked away from filling in at that concert like yeah, <laughs> it's going to be ruined. Yeah, and like, yeah, well, and and, it's, and I don't bring that up as if it's like a plot hole. Like, well, what about the concert? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean more like it. It really is something that almost feels so final on Erica's part. Like, how could how could she come back from that? Like, it's something she would never do. Yeah, well, like walking away from her talent. Yeah, and walking away from her like greatest career potential. Almost? Yeah, like, career yeah. as opposed to. Well, I guess like it, it is an effect of someone taking her humanity away from her because of the effect of the rape and uh, the attack by Walter. And so she walks out and that's the uh, and that's the end. Yeah. And it's very disturbing. And again, beautifully, I, I shouldn't say beautifully, but amazingly acted by Isabel Huppert by just like standing and looking and just having this look of absolute defeat and just horror. And it's it's so disturbing, really. Um, and then plunging the knife into herself and feeling pain as a one final act is a perfect exclamation point, I think, to the to the film. And uh, in in the book, however, there there's still the final attack from from clemmer which plays out like almost exactly the same as in the film yeah i I think yeah because he he comes in locks the mother in the bedroom and like hits her and kicks her and uh the the description of the rape is very explicit and in the next the final quote-unquote scene is her going to a um like a coffee shop almost like Um, it's like a restaurant it's a coffee shop i i think there's kind of the implication again (laughs) movement um she kind of like walks through what i assumed was like a square just filled Mm -hmm. with oh well because something something pretty major that i almost completely forgot to mention in the ending of the book she's walking with like her mother like they're walking through like a town square Mm. coffee shop or something and erica's wearing that dress that's too small Yes. Um, uh huh. Yep. That's right. Which her mother's berating her for. 
And her mother is making these weird manipulative comments um, of like, you know, you really should get out more and socialize more. You should be locked up with me. Like I'm an old bat and like the complete opposite of, of something else that she would typically say. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it of course echoes what Walter had said to her. Like you really should get out more um, while you're still not too old and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Mm -hmm. And then her mother suggests that they go to like a park or a hike or something. And so they go back to their apartment and that's when Erica kind of like, I think leaves without her mother with the knife. And we're very explicitly told that she's debating between murdering Walter or like groveling and begging for forgiveness, which I I think that I, I really appreciate being able to have that kind of like insight because I don't know if I'm just like an idiot but basically every time I watched the film, I never once got the impression that she was going to like try to kill Walter. I don't know why. I guess it just seemed very like extreme. And, you know, I watched it with my boyfriend last night and I, I mentioned that and he was like, oh, I figured immediately she was going to try to kill him. And I was like, yeah. all right, well, I think that's just uh, going over my head for some reason. I think, I mean, I think it's the first response. You're like, oh, knife equals death, you know? Yeah, like, well, I, I guess uh, in defense of my dimness, no, uh, no, you know, we, we see that Erica has a history of self-harming. Um, right, uh-huh. And, and so I, I, I think with every watch, when I would watch it, it'd be like, okay, she could do a lot of things with that knife, like... She yeah. already, you know, cuts herself, which the book also uh, expands on and says that she's been doing since she was a teenager. And we yeah. get that mm-hmm. really graphic and awful scene of her cutting her vulva and labia and right. uh-huh. it's extremely rough. Um, but anyway, so I think the biggest difference with the ending in, in the film and the book, uh, in the book, she goes and kind of watches Walter at school with his friends and he doesn't yeah. acknowledge her. I don't think he even sees her. Whereas in the film, he obviously, you know, acknowledges her, which is so it it feels so much more like cruel because he just completely acts like nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we we get her stabbing herself in each shoulder. Yeah. 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 And uh, in in both the film and and the book, that's exactly the same. And but but man, there's just I really love the little details of the ending in the book of her dress. That's too small. And 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 people do she when she's leaving the school grounds and again kind of walking through that square people are like turning their heads and looking either at her too small ridiculous dress or her bleeding shoulder um yeah uh-huh. and then i also really like the uh ending line where Jelinek says um i'm not going to read it word for word but it was something to the effect of and now she's going home to like her mother and I felt like that could mean a lot of things like, oh, well, okay, if she's going to kill Walter, like maybe she's going to try to kill her mom. Uh, Like like, Mm -hmm. she's just frantic for some kind of revenge. Um, And Walter and her mother are basically one and the same in her mind at this point. So, you know, maybe she's going to try to kill her mom or, you know, maybe it's, it's just she will never, ever escape the push and pull of this kind of narcissistic domineering mother i know you didn't ask it as a question but i i think the book ending is like a, a lot more not necessarily effective but it wraps up a lot of those things with the inclusion of like the mother um but i think the movie offers something else with having her walk away from that major recital yeah there are two there's two different messages being portrayed yeah. there um that i think that both work in the context of their own stories you know like i yeah. i agree that 
having the mother there and having her wearing the dress is like an interesting parallel to the very beginning of the book. And I think brings that idea full circle. And I, I appreciate that. And I like that. And the fact that, you know, Walter doesn't acknowledge her. It does feel like the the ideas of those two sections of either Walter not acknowledging her and just being with her friend, being with his friends and walking away versus him being with the group and being like, oh, can't wait to hear you perform. And then just going, I still get the same feeling of like, everything that happened beforehand just doesn't leave any negative effect on him. Like he doesn't feel any remorse. He just moves on and goes on with his life as if he's the popular, loving, cool, like, Hey, Walter's here, you know, kind of <laughs> guy. Um, I, I really like what makes it complete for me is like you said, like when she stabs herself and then walks, walks away and people, like you said, people are looking at her like that feeling of the gaze and constant attention, attention again, that she is, wearing this small dress and like this feeling of judgment constantly following her. And then in the movie it is more like, like we said, walking away from the, the one thing that she almost felt like gave her purpose. And then she found this new sense of enjoyment and love in life through Walter. And that is like, they're almost both destroyed in the same, in an instant where if she's not going to have one, she's not going to have the other. And it's yeah. just this uh, explosive ending with, with no dialogue spoken. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they both work respectively, or for, I think they both work well for their respective stories. I, I'm fine with either. Um, I think that the, the, the book ending is more descriptive. And I think the, the movie ending is more visual. Like I think yeah. it, it's good to not have any dialogue. Like nothing needs to be said after Walter says his final thing. What a way to end a story either way. What, yeah. like just what a way to end, end your work. It's fucking unbelievable. Yeah. Let's, let's go into a, an analytical reading. I think. Okay. So what are you thinking? Tell me, tell me what you got. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, oh God. That's, that's one of those, like uh, what's your favorite band questions like uh, where to even start i well, guess you said the uh, the let's start with the feminist uh, side of things yeah i mean obviously that's so not to say that like that's a smaller analytical reading of it yeah. because it's obviously a bigger part of the work but since you've mentioned it you know a few times throughout our discussion yeah i want, I, I want to get into that so uh again alfred jelinek socialist marxist feminist and i think understanding the scene that she was writing in which i'm kind of a hypocrite here because i still don't have the best understanding of it the austrian cultural scene was just really filled with academics and authors and philosophers she was part of that too and i'm going to very poorly kind of sum up what i can about uh austria and its history you know they had a lot of like culpability and nazism and authoritarianism and i think there's a really huge catholic influence and presence in Austria, I'm not sure about now, but again, this this is the context that Jelinek was writing from in the 80s when she wrote this novel. And so, you know, with that huge Catholic influence and uh, the authoritarianism, there is that sexual repression element, which is mm -hmm. absolutely present in The Piano Teacher. And then, of course, there's also the element of men and women, gender roles, being predetermined and coming from, you know, misogyny and, and a patriarchy. You know, women as lovers as a as a companion, it really is Jelinek kind of focusing and magnifying on working class women and trying to navigate misogyny and patriarchy that permeates through like all class and cultural standings. But it, it's really kind of like a focus and a portrait on 
what the fuck am I trying to say? Like women <laughs> uh, being, you know, like exploited through the home and the domestic sphere due to the fact that, you know, the, the laboring working class is exploited through like labor and capital, whatever, all, all the all the Marxist influences uh, in her writing and kind of like Marxist feminism, uh, I, if that's a real thing. And if I didn't just like completely make that up. Of for as long as there is a working class that's kind of dependent on paycheck to paycheck, there will be women who are stuck in a cycle of, you know, abuse, being kind of chained to husbands that beat them and uh, exploit them. And due to the fact that the women don't really have any money or, or way to kind of gain any kind of significant social standing or therefore economic standing. And that's just a very quick summation of what mm-hmm. Women as Lovers is focusing on. And so the piano teacher, you get that kind of same exact uh, reflection, but with, you know, the the quote unquote cultural class, because Erica is cultured. She's, you know, she had a very classical musical upbringing. She works at the Vienna Conservatory. Her contemporaries are, are musicians and her colleagues but there's also the the one little hitch that her and her mother sure do love TV, um, which I'm they sure do, is yes. some kind of uh, commentary that I didn't quite pick up on exactly what Jelinek was was getting there. It, it might just be some of her, again, very funny irony at play that uh, her and her mother are so cultured, but God, do they love TV and they love like curling up in front of TV they do, uh, yeah. and, and then talking about TV. And so with the piano teacher, I think it's Jelinek really kind of focusing on I, I, it feels really trite and and simplified to just say the patriarchy, but I'm going to say that for the sake of ease, kind of focusing on, you know, how the patriarchy is present, even in the kind of like uh, woman-centric relationship that Erica has with her mother, because there's no physical male influence, there's no husband, there's no father. But I think Erica's mother has kind of taken on the role of the patriarch and, and the commanding male figure. And I think that's, you know, especially highlighted in there's that really pivotal moment at the end of part one, where Erica seems to really be ruminating on her role as a woman. Um, mm-hmm. And she is thinking mostly of her relationship with her mother. And she's thinking about how her mother is aging. And she has that moment of, oh my God, well, if my mom dies, I, I basically am codependent on this kind of subservience and this kind of submission. And so what's the next best way that I can get that? It's through a man. And it seems Mm -hmm. like that's kind of her moment where it clicks that Walter would be the best thing for her. And that through him being a man, even though he's younger, she's more intelligent than him, he would have that automatic control over her and domination uh, just through, again, these kinds of social and economic roles You know, I also, I don't want to sound like I'm making like super sweeping generalizations talking about like the patriarchy or whatever, but I do think this book was kind of like, not only is it timeless, but it's ahead of its time because, you know, shit like this still exists, but it's not like Jelinek is ever leaning into, you know, the kind of like liberal feminism that might take up a lot of the rhetorical space uh, when feminism is talked about today. Uh, I think Jelinek kind of leans into a much more like traditional political leaning when it comes to, you know, her expression of her feminism, because I think the presence of like BDSM in this novel and of uh, pornography and 
you know, men exploiting women for sex or through sex. It, it's almost, you know, I was thinking of all this current sex positive feminism. And I was like, I really wonder what Jelinek would have to say about like sex positivity and if she's mm-hmm. sex positive or, or sex negative. Because, you know, Erica watching and learning, which we talked about earlier, she she's she's watching and learning what your her role as a woman is supposed to be because something pretty prominent is that she doesn't have any relationships with women outside of her mother. Like she's not really exposed to femininity or, or womanhood uh, or healthy, you know, women relationships interpersonal or otherwise. Um, she doesn't get that kind of exposure because she's so insulated under her mother. And so the only exposure she does get to other women is through pornography Mm-hmm. Um, uh, more explicitly peep shows, which, you know, the film didn't do this, uh, in the film, they have her go to a, a pornography booth where she just watches like film pornography, but in the book, she goes to like a peep show, which I, yeah. I still couldn't properly picture how they worked. Uh, I don't know if they even exist anymore, but it, you know, <clears throat> Erica was sitting in front of a glass box with a woman inside and, yeah. you know, there's something there in that, you know, Erica as a woman is watching this woman literally on display. And and so to, to Erica, this is the display, the like a magnified glass box of what femininity is supposed to be. And, you know, that glass box could otherwise be, you know, a home that you're locked in all day, fucking like cooking for your husband or whatever, or, or the television or whatever, but just some kind of like magnification of what has become of women uh, in in Austria, and again, I still think on a grand scale of uh, sexuality being kind of like co-opted as what being a woman is all about. And so, mm-hmm. I think Erica really gets her education on on womanhood through pornography and violence against women, because again, she's watching a man have sex with a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's implied that she does that often because she goes to the district of Vienna where there are, it's like the red light district, like, like it's prostitutes. Like you're not going to find like young couples, you find prostitutes mm-hmm. and Johns. And so the presence of like BDSM in the book, I really see as uh, Jelinek being like completely ahead of her time depicting almost like a male fantasy or, or what Jelinek kind of conjectures as a, as a male fantasy of a, a masochistic woman who is into violence and gets off on it. And I say this mostly because I was really thinking about it because I, I'm, I'm cringing thinking of our first episode on the, on the film where I think I said some stupid <laughs> take among the lines uh, and I'm so humiliated of well, you know, when Walter is like brutalizing her or whatever, like maybe that was in the letter. Maybe he's just really trying to fill out what was in the letter. Mm-hmm. And and I'm so embarrassed that I even said that. It's almost like it's basically victim blaming or me failing to see that Erica is a victim of a patriarchal sexual violence and, right. and mm-hmm. how casual it is and how it does permeate even into the cultured sphere. It, it's so much more obvious in the book, like explicitly stated that she doesn't want him to hit her and and she really does not want any of this violence. And there's one line that I think I did take down. Erica desires one thing that desire make her body desirable. And so desire here in this sense, which I also think I, I had brought up 
uh, in our older episode, like something whimsical about desire and blah, blah, blah. Like it just completely incorrectly because I think here in this, this setting, Erica's desire is to just be desirable. Her information on how to be desirable is through pornography. And I think, you know, Jelinek has condemned pornography before. She has her one novel, Lust, which a very common reading of that work is that it is just a condemnation of pornography and how hurtful it is to women like everywhere and on multiple levels. And so I, I think <laughs> through like 40 chess, I really think Jelinek kind of almost predicted um, the kind of conversation that we see today. And I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not getting too far off in terms of analysis. And I bring this up mostly because I think it is kind of not present in the film. I think she kind of predicted really elaborate discussions but like tired discussions that we see today, mostly on the internet, sometimes in academia, on like uh, trauma and like sexuality and, and this conjecture that, you know, BDSM, you know, there, there are women who are into that, like women who are into that, which, you know, I'm sure there are. But I think Jelinek was kind of preemptively tackling this idea of women wanting or desiring physical violence as a natural result of already kind of having to deal with psychological violence every day, just existing under the patriarchy, mm -hmm. um, which sounds kind of simplified and, and trite. Because I think for, for Walter in the book, he already is like pretty violent and brutal and like kind of hates women because <laughs> uh, yeah. he sees them at, at, as sport, as something to like conquer and hunt. And mm -hmm. like right off the bat, when it's kind of introduced that Walter has his eye on Erica, Jelinek does clarify that he wants to just kind of play around with her and then move on to bigger and better things. He has no intention of loving her like at all. Mm -hmm. And we get that one scene towards the end where right before Walter goes to Erica's apartment where he rapes her, he goes to the park to look for an animal to kill. Yeah, and he's like checking out all like there's like other couples there. And like, yeah, and and, like and he like yeah. terrorizes them and calls mm -hmm. the girls like sluts and yeah. things like that. And and so I think Jelinek really puts forward this kind of all encompassing portrait in the 17 year old Walter Klemmer of oppressive masculinity, how it, it can just kind of like cultivate uh, in men when they're able to, you know, grow up and socialize and eventually thrive in a society that favors them, which, you know, might have been especially prevalent in Austria at the time that she was writing, especially with, again, her focus on like the red light district of Vienna and et cetera. And, and I think she kind of conceptualizes, uh, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but like this idea of a woman who's into masochism and men being like, well, that sounds like a good idea for the both of us. <laughs> or like the way that like, you guys already experience uh, physical violence, uh, emotional violence can be a good idea for the both of us. Um, and so she, through Erica, she kind of makes this caricature of a, a female masochist, but it's not real because Erica is not a masochist like at her core. And that's, a, that's another thing that I think I got so wrong in our original episode. I, I think I, I probably did call Erica like a masochist or made some kind of implication like, well, that's just what she's into, but she just doesn't know how to safely and sanely navigate it. Like, 
or whatever <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, liberal feminist rhetoric had been poisoning my brain. Uh, yeah. I think it's easier to draw that conclusion from the movie than it is from the book. It, it really is because we don't get that just, I don't want to use the word aggressive when talking about feminism. Um, that's like not a good label to put on a feminist, uh, mm-hmm. especially Jelinek, but just that really forthright messaging of like, hey, women every day are growing up and being socialized and being victimized to of the patriarchy. So this is how, you know, if a woman is trying to cope through kind of making the turnover of, well, at least I can be in control of any kind of pain inflicted on me or the pain of just being a woman. (laughs) Yeah. Um, At least I could take control of it and then turn it into like BDSM. Because again, that is like a huge part of it is Erica wants control. And, and I think there is like a, a a trauma informed reading of, of the piano teacher, both the work, the work, the book and the film. Um, And, and it's, it's so exhausting now to talk about like being trauma informed on anything like people talk about trauma with like fucking marvel movies or whatever like well you can get that reading out of anything which just is not true but i think about grief in an interesting way (laughs) (laughs) yeah but with this back in 1983 like it for sure was like you know informed on the trauma of growing up a woman uh in austria the trauma of austria's political history uh jelinek's own personal trauma of you know growing up under a domineering manipulative narcissistic mother and i think shellanet kind of made this character of a female masochist who is doing that to cope with trauma maybe um but again like as a character and as a satire because it's like this is just not sustainable (laughs) i think that's what shellanet is trying to say i you know i don't want to like retroactively go back and like cherry pick any kind of theme that I just sort of like draw from just being aware of her other works. But I think that the feminist leaning is just so it's the biggest takeaway of the book, in my opinion, like, you know, Erica is dealing with the trauma of being so sheltered and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I think the feminist reading of hey, like women are forming their ideas of what it's like to navigate relationships with men through observing the kind of violence, physical or otherwise, that happens to us like every day and through also observing pornography. And that's going to kind of uh, influence how we navigate relationships and sex. And it's probably not good. <laughs> like, I think that's what Shalanek was really like getting at. And that men will, like, take advantage of it. And I think the backdrop of, like, a musical cultural scene, uh, Clemmer, he kind of, he tries to woo Erica with talking about music and emotion and trauma through music and blah, blah, blah. But it's pretty apparent in the book, especially with how open Jelinek is about it, about the subtext, that he really just doesn't care about any of that stuff. And it's more so uh, a means to I don't I don't know get in her pants or, or just to kind of tell her what she wants to hear and so it's like okay well if in like uh, the society that's separate from the cultural class if it's pornography and violence against women that and the trauma that comes from that that men can then kind of use to like co-opt and 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 gaslight into thinking that BDSM is an appropriate way to deal with that and that women could enjoy it too. Then in the cultural sphere, in the artistic musical sphere, 
um, music can be co-opted the same way and kind of like weaponized. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if anything I've just said makes sense, but I think it's worth talking about just the overwhelming feminist reading because I don't think it's like present at all. Well, not it is present in Haneke's film, but I think Haneke is getting at something different in terms of the theme. And honestly, if you want to like take the baton, Josh, because I think maybe you'd have more to say about whatever kind of theme you took away from the film. Because for me, I've really just been like ruminating and thinking about the book mostly. And even watching the film last night, I was just thinking of the book. And so I think it was easy for me to kind of like miss some details. Uh, Yeah, I think we're going to end there. That was great. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but really quickly, another thing I just want to say that I'm not just kind of like making the assumptions that uh, Jelinek is, you know, as much of a feminist as she is uh, in regards to her novel Lust, which again is a condemnation on pornography. She said in an interview something among the lines of, in a society where men and women have predetermined roles and, and power, men having the power, uh, economic or social standing or otherwise, also just physically, um, there is no way for sexuality between men and women to be navigated without men still having the power mm-hmm. and p- performing an act of violence just through sex. Um, and, you know, that might read as kind of radical that Jelinek is saying, you know, sex between men and women has an inherent violence. But, like, she kind of, like, really backs up her claim with the piano teacher and just the way she's able to, like, lay that out and how there yeah. is that, like, overall violence just kind of seeping into Erica's pores and that she ultimately ends up inflicting on herself because, like, she self-harms. And then she thinks that what will make her desirable is being like a submissive slave but she still has that moment of like walter might think he's the boss of me because he can be my bdsm daddy but uh (laughs) direct quote yeah direct quote but i really have the control here because it's on my terms and and that's that's at the crux of what i was trying to say about i think jalanek kind of like preemptively was making a commentary on like bdsm in the whole erica thinking okay, well, what he wants from me is like a subservient sexual slave because that's what I've observed. So he'll think that's what he's getting, but I'm not into that. And it's me having control over getting him to desire me and therefore having some kind of control that I've never had in my entire life because of my mother. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, I hope I, I made I think, sense. I might no, have just no, that crazy was, and rambling. That was, no, that was terrific. That was really... Uh, really insightful. But if you want to push back, like push back, because I said to you like off mic too, how did it feel as a man to kind of read this? Because I think this book really points the finger at men. Yeah, Uh, I mean, well, so I mean, I I should say up front that I don't think that anything that I'm going to say analytically is going to be as insightful as that, uh, honestly, like because especially in relation to the book, because again, the book was such a challenging experience and finding certain pieces of analysis that didn't relate to my takeaways to the movie sometimes were was tough because of how much I was pushing to challenge myself to get through it Mm -hmm. um and you know as as a man reading it yes it is very clearly like about those struggles and the relationships and more of a 
I did get like a lot of some of the feminist stuff that you were mentioning about. Yeah, like oppression and and then obviously the dynamic of like sexual repression uh, between her and her mother. I think that as as someone like I personally have never been fully like uncomfortable with works that are pointing the finger at men or the patriarchy or anything like that because I'm not one of those. Well, not all men. Like, I'm never, you're never going to hear me say that. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not, like, I am comfortable in myself to know I, like, am not the worst case scenario, but there is a problem, obviously, within uh, in men in society as a whole. I mean, listen to our Fight Club episode. Like, obviously, there's a lot there. Um, but I, I didn't feel like a big, pointing finger at me like well i i didn't do anything like i I didn't feel like that but i I felt like that it was justified like i felt that it like was very clearly focusing on a specific problem in the dynamic in this world of like you were saying of the violence in in sex and one one thing i was thinking about like when i was watching especially it kind of came to me when i was watching the movie was that like what erica erica lays out what she's interested in and what she wants to do in a letter and is very like upfront about it and is very articulate about what she's interested in and wants to try and hasn't been able to actually experiment with this. So having all of this come out at once is obviously a bit of an emotional overwhelming experience for her. So she wants it to go a certain way, but then just the fact that she is, laying it out in a very clear calm manner and then the man's response to that is violence aggression he finds it offensive like we mentioned earlier and then the fact that he then attacks her and rapes her and just becomes part of the crowd that he was before as like we said like ah walter's here let's go to the concert together and it's like totally fine while uh erica is just destroyed outside and in is an interesting, I think commentary on uh, again, gender roles in society of how boys will be boys kind of narrative or the, Oh, she was asking for it narrative. Like those two, like clear comments on those two things. And I will be honest. I didn't listen to the section of our analysis on our first podcast (laughs) because it was so hard to listen to that. I'm not going to lie. It was I skipped through it um, Mm -hmm, and I was in pain. So I can't fully articulate what my overall analysis on that viewing <laughs> were, but um, in this viewing, that was something that stood out to me as like also just understanding and believing that Erica has all of these feelings built up. And I don't think that Heineke is judging either one of the characters. I mean, I you can clearly take away that Clemmer is extremely violent and a monster, but he's not saying like, isn't it weird that this woman likes this stuff? Like, I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Well, and, um, I, and I think really quick, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think also because Hanukkah does get the point that she doesn't really like, like that stuff even. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like it's natural response of like, oh, this will please them. Yeah. And so. Or they're, okay. they're going to do it to me anyway. So. Yeah. So what Clemmer reads in the letter in the film is like, explicitly written out in the book like almost like word for word in the same yeah. way and so it seems like and, and i don't mean this also in a judgmental way what she is writing is almost the 
utmost extreme version of that or extrapolated version of what the man will be interested in. Yeah. And so, but that's what she interprets as being okay. And I, I'm I'm glad that you said that, that, that it's more of her reaction to the patriarchal violence and that dynamic. And so she's not really saying it as this is what she's fully interested in, um, but it's what is expected of her. And I think that that makes the story even more interesting because, yeah, again, it's not like she's asking for it. You know, I yeah, don't no, think that, that that's not what sh- that is not at all the takeaway. You should not just be like, well, Walter had some good points. That's not that, that is not <laughs> should it not at all be what you think at the end of this movie. Um, I think it just makes it even more damaging where she was like she was doing what she thought was right and was natural and was OK based on the world that she had. So like has been surrounded in and it ended up destroying her like accentuates the fact that there's a problem yeah or not even not even what she thought was right but just what she thought would at least give her some control yeah yeah and i mean that's also the whole thing with with these relationships is about control is the mother in control of erica or does erica have control over her own life to go after walter does walter have control um of what they do because he's really only looking for, and the book articulates this way better is that like, you know, what Walter is after is love and what he then perceives as getting back is violence. And then that makes him offended and then lead to other violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously, I mean, I don't want to be one of those basic bitches that's just like, <laughs> well, the main theme is control. And that's because like, yeah, controls in every fucking story, you know? So, but like it's at the forefront of this other feminist narrative that you're talking about so that was that was another big takeaway i I also wanted to touch on a little bit it's it's a little bit of an aside but Uh i think uh in the book jelenic does a couple really nice awesome digs at um contemporary art oh yeah and and i want to read just one quick line (laughs) just one really quick one sure i think it's during the recital scene the uh where they meet where clemmer and her meet the private recital the private recital yes um and Jelinek says, after all, people with a herd instinct hold mediocrity in high esteem. They praise it as having great value. They believe they are strong because they are the majority. They huddle together, indulging in the illusion of warmth. The Marvel community would cancel her in an instant. <laughs> and- First Scorsese and now Jelinek. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. I, I think Jelinek, I mean, yeah, God, talking about canceling, you know, she already got a lot of, um, you know, backlash in Austria for a lot of her work. Yeah. God, I, I really do think this book was not only ahead of its time, but like mm-hmm. kind of timeless. And, and I, and I wonder if it would be kind of, if it were made today, if it would play out similarly, with all the, uh, you know, online and sometimes leaking into the uh, academia discussion on like kink and sex positivity and, 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 you know, when we talk about oppression, what are we talking about? Like, are we talking about women getting judged for growing out their body hair? Or are we talking about, you know, women being forced to be tied to abusive relationships because they can't afford otherwise or, uh, you know the, the bigger fish to fry that Jelinek was talking about mm-hmm. that I think you know liberal feminism today uh is not talking about and so I wonder that kind of what that response would be well yeah and like even the like imagine switching the roles 
right? Switching the gender roles. Like imagine if Walter wrote a letter to Erica saying he would like to do this, this, and this, and then Erica freaks out. Story's completely different, Mm -hmm. obviously. Like that's not the story that we were given, so it would just inherently be different. But like, again, I think that speaks to the perception of men and perception of women in sexual relationships or just relationships in general. Like even the fact that Erica believes in this expectation of her and is wants to hold on to this feeling of because she says she loves him like several times in that scene where she reads the letter Mm -hmm. and she wants to hold on to that and she's willing to do what makes him like she even like goes to the cupboard and is like you decide what I wear what's your favorite color you haven't told me yet you know and that is like her clear like she's almost dropped this perception or this I don't want to say facade but this like this like skin this like hard skin that she's been wearing throughout the movie of this very like direct straight headstrong person now into this very like you said submissive to Walter because she thinks it's it's what's best and what is expected yeah and it's and it, again it's just so interesting how the fact that it's just met with violence and the total destruction of her life when, you know, she was just doing what she thought was expected of her or was, um, or was necessary or was ne- necessary. Yeah. yeah especially and, to kind of break from her mother because, uh, I, I don't want to interrupt you. I'll let, I'll let you get back to that thought, but really quick during that scene in the book, when, Uh, the letter scene in the book when Walter's reading the letter right in front of her. Erica's, we get a few flashes of her thinking of her childhood, like Mm -hmm. really mundane things like riding the escalator in a department store. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is so like tragic. Um, And, and, you know, very clearly shows that her current situation uh, and her ability or not ability, her attempt to kind of navigate it as best as she possibly can is just, so influenced by her childhood and you know there's a lot to kind of extrapolate from that and i'm sure if somebody wanted to they could again do a a, like a trauma-informed exploration on how Mm -hmm. uh, the trauma of erica's childhood ended up being you know resulting in her feeling the need to to cope with it through deciding to just accept like abuse but not really want it but i i don't think that's like the the ultimate point Jelinek was getting at, which I already fucking talked about. So I'll let you mm-hmm. get back to it. But I just wanted well, to bring up those little mundane flashes of childhood going through her head while he was reading the letter. Cause I thought that was really. Yeah, I, I agree. That's good imagery. Significant. And yeah. Well, the, the only other thing that I was going to say in relation to my, to my other point was that like, again, in the ending, like, you know, Walter doesn't, is just like snaps back, you know, to what he was before that night happened. Yeah. He's back with his friends. He's back at the concert. He's just like, hi, Erica. Can't wait to hear you play. You know, all that. But like, I think that obviously is a comment on like, and to just further back up the point, the bigger, larger point that you were making was that like, men don't think twice about that stuff, you know? Yeah. Or, or or that it's less about snapping in and out of, but just kind of, um, already being, (laughs) uh, a monster for a lack of a better term. And again, well, yeah. like, mm-hmm. uh, I, and I, I don't think Jelinek is necessarily saying that like every man has the ability to just like do this, but I no, think she no. is trying to say that sexual relations between men and women, you know, have can inherently activate this kind of violence. Right. And the fact that 
like we were saying, or like you were saying, how presence of violence and presence of control in the patriarchy has affected her decisions in this sexual relationship. And the fact that, again, Walter d- wouldn't think twice about this. Like he would not really question this dynamic. And I think that, again, just backs up your point because Erica is so clearly, the fact that she's so damaged and at the, the end where everything she's thinking about or that she's been taught and has been, you know, that's been drilled into her head is just like almost destroyed right in front of her. It makes it so much more disturbing. And I don't even know if there's anything else to say after that, like for uh, for my point. But it's I, I think everything that you said made perfect sense oh, uh, and and was uh, better than any dribble that I could have oh, put together. No, um, it, it's a lot I, to <laughs> it's a lot to like bite off and chew. And and, you know, me, I, I think I work better on, on pen and paper and being able to like write out my thoughts and mm-hmm. uh but I didn't want to sit here and read to you, uh, nor did I write an essay. But yeah, it's just a lot of things that um, I could probably articulate better if I was able to like sit down and write it out. But it's just so much that Jelinek is really offering up at once. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I, I think that, again, I, I apologize for not seeming as you know prepared for it because <laughs> the book was so challenging and so... Like I was focusing on so many different things Do as it was apologize. happening. And uh, I mean, also, you know, being a man or a boy, really, you know, that <laughs> affects my perception of things. So sure, um, yeah. I wouldn't have you know picked up on that as as clearly as you did. And it also let's if I did, it would be extremely strange if I was just like, all right, next 10 minutes, they're mine, baby. Like, that's not like, <laughs> let me mansplain the feminist yeah. angle. <laughs> Do you know what a woman is, Rihanna? No. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think <laughs> it was it was so well said. Um, I don't have anything else for analysis. Do we want to move on to the final question? Oh, God. Um, I don't think I have anything else for analysis. Oh, well, I really do just want to quickly say there there are things that I think, you know, it could be touched on that I just did not even bother trying to touch because um, I think it's pretty significant that uh, Schubert and, and Schubert... The, 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 the two and showman. The, and yeah. showman Jesus yeah um the two musicians that are like the most often referred to both in the original text and the film um probably mean something I don't really I'm not able to you know conjecture on what that means um yeah if any I of you listeners that... know about the history more in the book it's mentioned that um I, I think Schubert um mm-hmm. maybe Schumann one of them like died of like syphilis or something or, or or was like remarkably ugly and had a lot of failures with women uh something like that was brought up and i was like that's like significant uh and it means something but i just can't make those those connections <laughs> in my brain cells yeah i mean she definitely she also mentions like that in tandem with saying that her father was uh put in a mental asylum in the film think- yeah yeah, and I think one of one of those composers was as well. Um, yeah, I'm a little fried right now to be able to articulate that. Um, but yeah, if anyone 
has any connections to that, please write in. <laughs> please, please mansplain let us know. it. To <laughs> please, me. Yeah, please mansplain us. Or please just tell us <laughs> on how uh, we were entirely wrong and your opinion is the only right one. We love that. Um, <laughs> so I think this has been a lovely journey. I agree, of, Josh. I, I'm uh, so glad we revisited it. It would feel so wrong to like not return to it, honestly. Especially, yeah. again, after cringing my way through listening to that episode <laughs> yeah i think i think it was i mean it was your idea so i think it was an amazing idea on your part and uh but we still have one more thing to do yes. like all the episodes in this series we asked the big question of the two works the book or the movie which one do you enjoy or speaks to you more and uh so uh, would you like to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Um, go first, please. The book speaks to me more, honestly. Mm-hmm. I love Hanukkah, but even, you know, when it comes to the films that I've seen of him, like Funny Games will always be my favorite. So The Piano Teacher, it's not, oh, geez, it's not necessarily uh, my favorite Hanukkah film. It's still an incredible film. He's incredible. He's a genius. I love him and his work. He's one of my favorite directors. Um, but after reading the book and especially all the like insight on Erica and her mother and just how much that resonated with me, God, and, and, and again, what we just talked about, like the feminist aspects, all of it really, really, um, struck a chord with me that I think the movie didn't like, I love the movie and I love watching it, but it, it does not resonate as deeply with me as the novel did. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes uh, total sense, and it's very well said. Uh, I'm going to say the opposite. I'm going to say the, the <laughs> movie. I, I prefer the film. And I, I also, I, I do feel the need to be clear here. I I did not, under any circumstance, dislike or hate or not enjoy the book. The book is a masterwork. Uh, it, it makes sense why it won the Nobel Prize for literature. Like, it's such yeah, a... Yeah, for sure. Um, it is an, 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 a true achievement of literary work. It's just it represents so much more of a challenge for me just because of, I honestly had never read anything like this before. And I did find myself really trying to push through it. And I, I think that our conversation definitely makes me enjoy it more. Um, I think with most of our conversations, it makes me enjoy it more Yeah. Uh, or like either work, but I definitely want to take a break from the novel before <laughs> revisiting it oh, um, God, yeah, because, for sure. be, because again, it's so dense, you know, whether, whether you like it or, or not, it is just an incredibly rich, but tough read. Like it, it just, it just is because it's not like a traditional narrative and I'm not saying that it should be. Um, it's just, it, it was tough for me to get through and I, and I'm more, like I, I'm almost like proud of myself for making it through. Like someone you who reads Harry be. Potter for the first time, you know. Like, you should be. I mean, God, think, um, think of all the people who, you know, kind of don't want to read more heavy literature for that exact reason. They just like don't feel like trying to trek through it. But yeah, you, what are happy Amazon customers' favorite books? <laughs> like, what's what are they reading on a Sunday? You know, uh, but uh, but the movie I think is just um, I, I I agree that it obviously is not as rich in terms of the feminist uh, analysis that we were discussing, um, but I, I do think that it's a, it's brilliantly directed. The performances are uh, out of this world. It's so emotionally punishing but it achieves all of the uh, or i shouldn't say all of but a lot of the necessary subtext and character motivation visually and i think it does a great job of 
uh, combining what it can in terms of information and scenes and characters to make a cohesive narrative uh, on film. Because I, I think I mentioned earlier that like if you just type up the plot synopsis for this book, like on Wikipedia, it's three short like our average size paragraphs yeah. and then the rest of it is filled like very stretched out with metaphorical prose and all that and, and that's fine um but I, I think the movie just does a really great job of also just being so contemplative and letting the characters be within their own environment and letting the world affect the characters and their decision and i feel so emotionally i don't want to say invested but like i go on much more of a journey like with the characters and the and the story in the film than I did with the book. Whereas again, the book, I felt myself being like, it was much more personal, like mm-hmm. for me of trying to like push myself intellectually almost and, uh, and my ability as a reader. And so I know I missed a lot. Like I know there are stuff like, you know, when I finished it, I was just like, all right, well, I kind of just let it wash over me. I mean, you know, I just watched evangelion for the first time it's the same thing where it's like just letting that like kind of go all in but it's like yeah i know i missed stuff so i'll have to go back in, in um, five years we could do another revisited special yeah we do, we do the, yeah, the third third piano teacher uh when i'm smarter uh but uh yeah I, I'm, I'm gonna say i'm gonna say the movie for me but uh again still very much enjoyed the book and i'm i'm really glad that we did this and we we brought it back, and I think we uh, righted all of the wrongs that we did in that first podcast. <laughs> God, I hope so. Who knows? Maybe I could take a red pen to whatever thirty minute rant I I went on about uh, the feminist reading. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I feel much better about this episode than the last one. That's for sure. I'm I'm very glad we did it. Me too. This was this was amazing. Thank you guys. See you later. Thank you, everyone. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Frankly I Love Movies Off the Shelf. You can follow us on Instagram at Frankly I Love Movies and at Frankly underscore podcasts on Twitter. Our show is produced by Sullivan J. Harris with music by Kanan Harris and series artwork by Rihanna Henson. I'm Rihanna Henson. I'm Josh Wall. Frankly, I love books. And frankly, I love movies. Movies.